to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. Hello. How are you doing, Andy? I'm fair to middling. Yes. How are you finding the monthly, the monthlies rather than the the fortnightlies? Well, I always like the Doctor Who monthlies and I'm similarly um, happy, Mm. I think. It's really lovely to have a bit more time and to not be so Mm. stressed about it. Not that I was Mm. massively stressed, but... No. You know, it's really lovely to think, oh, I've got a bit of breathing time. <laughs> we can give our listeners a better product. Well, I don't better know about that. Product. That's that's <laughs> That remains to be seen. Or at least more, more time in their lives to not listen to us. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, God, they put out another bloody episode. Yeah. Uh, although I believe there is bonus content with today's edition. There is. We have a special exclusive interview with the director of A Very Peculiar Practice, David Tucker. Yeah. So you don't get away with it that easily, folks. No, exactly. He was very good. Okay. He's taken time out from um, just about to go into a big EastEnders block. And he was like, no, I have time for this. Yes. If it's not too impertinent, too impertinent a question, Yes. how old is he? Um, well, he was fairly young when he did Tenko. I think he was late 20s right. when he did that, okay. which is one of those horrifically talented people again. Um <laughs> So I guess oh, we hate them. That was, I know, we hate them. <laughs> have, you, have you told him you hated him? <laughs> of course I did. I made that very clear from the outset. <laughs> That's how you got the interview. Yeah, I, hate <laughs> I hate you. Can you I have an talk interview? to me? Yeah. <laughs> so I think you did Tenko 38 years ago. Yeah, so okay. if he's if you add around 30 to that, he's, he's probably mid to late 60s. Yeah, right. I would say. But, okay, so but he's a, I've still got time to catch up then, is yes, what you're saying. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> But he's a sprightly mid to late 60s. You know, he's a kind of like completely holds his own. You can see him directing Mm. EastEnders, no problem. He'll kick them all into touch. Absolutely. Yes. Like we did it in my day. (laughs) (laughs) You, whippersnapper. Yes, you. I do know your lines. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Yes. So today. What are we going to talk about today, Andy? You tell us. Well, I believe I believe we are looking at a series that was first on in the second half of the 1980s, uh, ran for two series of seven episodes each, plus there was a film about four years later, and the series is called A Very Peculiar Practice. I've got three words for you, Martin. Offbeat. Do that again. <laughs> no! 
<laughs> they're good three words but my words are more based on those netflix descriptors offbeat okay quirky oddball <laughs> is that just me or is that me? that's you yeah that's a review of yeah. you for uh, you to take on board and consider offbeat quirky and oddball yeah mm, i would say there's far more to it though because i agree that. and that's why i've said but, that that's why i went in with that they're the sort of mm. crap things that are said about this series who don't realize how much there is going on hmm I mean, I've been a, I have been a fan since it was first on. Really, I mean, I, I can actually sort of tell you basically uh, this: the first series, uh, the ran uh, from May to June, nineteen eighty-six, which was exactly when I was doing my, the it was the last two months of my uh, degree. Yeah. In art, you know, I say it's a degree, but my art qualification. <laughs> Yeah, but um, basically, while I was doing all my uh, final degree show, all this this stuff that was going on, this was a show I was watching. I don't actually, I'm not actually very aware that anybody else was watching it, mm. but it actually seemed to be strangely enough about that phase of my life. The actual program seemed to be about that phase of my life. Right. Uh, so I I really related to it, uh, and then two years later, I think in April, it's a March April. 1988 when the second series was on I uh, I think I'd just started work I mean I, I I was massively unemployed for quite a long chunk of time after college right and um, so again I came back to this but in, but in those days you know, nobody I knew was watching this show yeah and I loved it and I, I bought the uh, paperback adaptations you know both of those books still on the shelf yeah. uh, and then years years later the first series came out as a, a two disc DVD set, and the second series never appeared. Ah. So I, I was like, "Oh, this is," you know. And the second series became kind of um, not not necessarily legendary, but it would kind of. Oh, I'd really like to see that. I knew I knew from the book, and I knew from all the stuff in the preamble that it was a very dark series. I remembered it being a very dark series, but yeah. you couldn't see it at yes. that stage. We didn't we didn't have the Netflixes and everything like that. So when it sort of it did finally come out a few years ago, you know, it was a, just a joy to be able to revisit this. Uh, and basically, this is 14 hours of your life plus an hour and a half of a, a screen, is it screen one or screen two, screen one. I yeah. think it's a screen one movie yeah. uh, that that follows up the series. And it is 15 hours of your life you will not regret spending. If you watch this show, I'm, I'm laying out my stall now. Basically, yep. right from the start of the episode, I'm telling you, I like this one. Yeah. Well, you'll be pleased to hear I utterly and completely agree. I had only seen three episodes before once I bought the DVD set, this this complete mm -hmm. DVD set about three or four years ago. But I obviously got taken over by having to do some freelance work or something. So I couldn't watch any more mm. of it. And then it just got put on the yes. side for some reason on the pile. Okay. The legendary beside the TV pile. And even though I really enjoyed it, for some reason in that time, I wasn't in the right mood for it. And maybe it's because yeah, okay. I needed some distance from Cambridge because I was at Cambridge for a long time. I was in a senior role as a departmental um, staff um, yes. member. So I, was, I led a department. So I think maybe it was a little too close for comfort when I first watched it. Possibly. But now I just, you know three years on from actually being at Cambridge and having resigned and left mm. and left that um, swamp of fear and loathing because it was emotionally <laughs> bankrupt. I, right. I really could 
appreciate and just adore this show. I think it's an absolute effing gem. Totally. Brilliant. Yes. So we should uh, point out this is a vehicle for Peter Davison. Uh, yeah, I don't, know whether I, like, I don't know whether I like the description vehicle. Because that suggests well, it's been created just what for What I'm him. saying is, yes. was he cast or was it... No. You know what I mean? No, no. He, well, I, it, was, it, it wasn't written with him in mind. No, okay, that's no. In fact, the um, only person it was written in mind for was Graham Crowden. Right. So there you go. Okay. So so Graham Crowden being the secondly Jock McCannon. Yeah. It also features Barbara Flynn yep. and David Troughton. Yes. So they are four main uh, cast members. And they are superb. Oh. Yes. They sing the script. And the interaction <laughs> is just... Oh, yes, it's a joy. Yes, you should probably also mention for the first series Amanda Hillwood, who played Lynn Turtle, and John Bird, who plays Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the second series... Yes. Joanna Kanska plays the love interest. Greta Gutierrez. Greta. She's more than a love interest. No. <laughs> and uh, I can't remember who's, who plays uh, the not JFK man. Oh, I never remember his name. I just think he's Jack Daniels. JFK. I can't remember who the actor is. That's bad. It is. It is uh, Michael Shannon. Oh, well done. So, I would like to kind of focus on this, looking at first series one first, then series two if we can. Okay. Because there's so much to say about the setup and about that first series, and then series two is different again. So, if you're okay with going in that way, um, yeah, why not? Synopsis. Uh, oh, Lowlands University is a swamp of fear and loathing. <laughs> a showpiece 60s campus looking increasingly anachronistic, or even... <laughs> I prefer that. Anachronistic in the paranoid, profit-driven 80s. It is staffed by angst-ridden academics desperate to hang on to their privileged status amid swinging cutbacks... It also houses what may well be the worst medical practice in the British Isles. Uh, yes. this, uh, Stephen Dacre sees his new job at the medical centre as a chance to pursue excellence among a dedicated team and he's somewhat t- shaken when his colleagues turn out to be a wildly unpredictable dipsomaniac, a public school educated fascist and an uber feminist who sees illness as something men do to women. Yes. Dark secrets... Sinister experiments, demented academics, STD epidemics, the Yankee dollar, a desperate creative with writer's block, and a couple of nuns all conspire to make life on campus a hair-raising experience for Stephen! Exclamation point. That's not bad. Compared to a lot of DVD boxes we have read out on this podcast, that one's probably an <laughs> 8 out of 10. Yes. <laughs> it also says uh, Andrew Davis's surreal sp- yeah. searingly funny look at sexual politics, medical malpractice and academic rivalry at the height of the Thatcher era won huge acclaim and a BAFTA nomination for Best Drama Series. So. Yes. and I think that covers it. Yes, it does. Yeah, so number five in the top 100 list in The Guardian a few years ago. So it's remembered as well and, you know, a lot of these series we love aren't, but this one has... Well, I'm order. amazed actually. I am actually amazed at that. I, I personally think it is one of one of the, the greatest uh, television dramas yeah. that's ever been done. But I also feel that literally nobody watched it. 
Um, yes. Although obviously it, it occasionally turns up in conversation and people go, oh, I love that series. It's an odd thing to try and sell to a viewing public. Really. Hugely I mean, odd. Of... So specific. Huge... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and on BBC Two as well. Um, yeah. But it, it kind of turned up. It was on the cover of the Radio Times, the first series. Yeah. Um, I think it gets a mention on the set, on the cover of the, for the second series, by the way. And there are sort of like articles within. Yeah. But I genuinely think that even if you're a, a big fan of TV dramas generally, I don't necessarily think you would have necessarily been drawn to it. I think I watched it by accident. I genuinely think yeah. it, it was the era when I would actually watch programmes because somebody who was Doctor Who was in it, yeah. which I don't do anymore. No. But... Um, but generally, that was probably I probably thought, oh, it's a Peter Davison thing. Oh, that'll be fun, and that's probably why I watched it in the first place. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. But I can imagine an awful lot of people it passed them by completely. Yeah. Maybe there was a World Cup on or something. I literally don't know what was happening that year. But um, obviously, a lot of us were trying to do our degree shows. But, I think um, the university experience, if you have that, then that really mm. makes it come alive more, and it, it's so real. Mm. I mean, I, I went to university in 1990, so between the second series and the film. And mm. if I'd seen it, I think it would have had me more prepared for what I should, what I was about to experience at a campus university. I do think it's interesting that in the course of our A to Z so far, we've actually covered two other university dramas. Yes, and they, they um, deserve mention in respect of this, don't they? Yes, which is um, The History Man. Yeah. And nice work, uh, both of which are still available. <laughs> what, on the podcast, or do you mean the DVD on, box sets? Our podcast episodes, yes. Yes, our podcast episodes on both of those are under, uh, still available. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I think it's actually quite interesting that we have been drawn to the university drama three times now. Yeah. And I would maintain that actually, despite the fact I think we, we both times we've actually found them to be very good dramas, I kind of feel that this one... I think we've left the best till last, really. Absolutely. And this one deals with the university environment properly. Um, mm. It really does get under the skin of it in a way that it's like, mm. oh, God, you understand this world. You understand there are altered priorities ahead. Nothing is normal here. Um, mm. And the point at which Lynn comes back and she's really been in the real world and she comes back and realises how mad it is. And it's like it's like nowhere else. And yes. it's a world that I was in for so many years, for 20 years and um, more that I kind of 22 years that it was very much normal to me until I stepped outside of it. And I was like, oh, my God, it was fucking mm. insane. <laughs> but I think that that's actually been one of the criticisms of Oxford and Cambridge generally over the decades, hasn't it? Yeah. Really, it's the fact that the the people within the environment they are so um, indoctrinated to that lifestyle. Yeah. What's 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 the word I'm looking for? The um, uh, institutionalized. Yes. Totally. To, to that world, that the re the real world comes as a bit of a shock, and that's always been touched on in things like Morse that sort of orbit around. Uh, the academic world yeah but i think it's it's fascinating to me that but all three of these series were written by people who worked in university yes and understood but, uh, yeah. but andrew davis andrew davis was apparently still working at warwick when he wrote this one the first series yeah he didn't give it up until it was successful enough yeah absolutely yeah. 
and of course obviously went on to write lots and lots of adaptations of Jane Austen and what have you yeah he is uh, he is the the king of the adaptation now isn't he and he did Mother Love which was on over Christmas as well yeah which I but, but at this stage uh, he, he actually he was writing this because he'd been working on a different university drama that that didn't get completed mm. and found himself owing the BBC several thousand pounds yeah, 17,000 I believe <laughs> or you can write as another series yes. instead which I find is weird because I always thought you got paid to write it whether or not they made it or not that that fascinated me as, as a as a as a it's almost like they were holding a holding this this financial was this bertism coming in i wondered i think it it depends how what stage the script had been advanced to doesn't it i hmm. think as to whether they're but if it's if it's commission though you still get paid for your time i would have thought so i was a bit i was a bit bewildered by that. no i anyway, think you can we... get i think you can get asked to supply scripts but they're not ah. commissioned yeah that's, yeah. I think, how it works. But as soon as they're formally commissioned, as you say, yeah, you get paid. Because you think of all those Doctor Whos that were never made, but they got paid for, yeah. Yes. Now Big Finish are making. One thing that I'm, I'm very pleased to get the story straight on with the History Man and this is that there's a lot of twaddle mm. talked about online about how, oh, they wanted to film it at um, University of East Anglia in Norwich, but because the History Man had been filmed there and they didn't realise mm. what the History Man was going to be about, that it that they said no, but no, because the History Man, as we know, was filmed at Lancaster. Mm. So that's a, a nonsense that's on Wikipedia and other places. Mm. Um, well, there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's a lot of talk. Uh, there's an actual, uh, if you listen to the uh, audio commentary on a couple of the episodes of the first series that Andrew Davis and David Tucker and Peter Davison did, yeah. there's a, quite a lot of talk about the, the reason... That they were, they used the universities they did was because they were the ones that needed the money. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and funnily they enough, couldn't afford fun, to be exactly. snooty. And funnily enough, Keel was one of the ones I looked at because I I mm. lived in the Midlands at the time, and I think initially I thought, oh, I'm a bit scared. I'm going to go somewhere fairly close to home. And Keel looks quite leafy, <laughs> even mm. though you know it was concretey. But um, mm. I, I went to Exeter in the end. Um, but yeah. it's it's funny that it was one of the ones I had the brochure for around that right. time. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yes. Interesting. So filmed at Keele and Birmingham and mm -hmm. yeah, David Tucker had his work cut out making them look like one place, but I think he achieves that. Yeah, we should just say something about that David Tucker directing it all, which mm. is I, unusual. Yes, and I I asked him about it that in the interview as you'll hear, but um it I guess it means there's a firm um hand at the tiller all the way through and it has the same consistency mm. and sense and mm. Where you're actually trying to keep a consistent look to the whole yes. thing, and, and and of course there's a lot, uh, uh, there's a lot of stylistic touches in this series. I mean, you you get these panning shots across the university. Uh, pretty much every episode opens with a with a kind of panning shot sh uh, following the uh, refuse lorry. Yes, the, the, rub the rubbish the rubbish bin wagon. I was going to say you're very posh um, today. The refuse yeah. lorry. I was going to say the bin lorry. <laughs> bin lorry. Hi. The big red bin lorry yeah. into the in, uh, into the campus, and of course, um, you are introduced immediately uh, to a pair of nuns. The nuns. Would you like to explain some nuns? To I had my views on what the nuns are about. You'll hear what mm. David's views. Well, not views. David telling us what the nuns are about um, in the interview later. So I kind of don't want to say that now because he had a very particular take on what they were. But I saw them as um, very odd and strange mm. and. Mm. Apparently, Andrew Davies said there was always a pair of nuns somewhere. Wherever you went, yes. there would be a pair of nuns. 
but um, couldn't have a university campus without yeah. there being some nuns. He was he was forever he was forever engaging with nuns or or coming across nuns doing very bad things. But one one of the funniest things that I ever did um, on holiday was was we called it Nun Watch Two Thousand. We were in Rome, okay. and Marisa, my wife, and I had a holiday there before we had John. Mm-hmm. And we thought to make the Vatican City more fun, we'd play Nun Watch 2000, which was okay. taking photographs of nuns doing unlikely things. <laughs> and we had about 10 excellent photos of them on phones or, or you See, know. And this was in the grand tradition and, yeah, of, yeah. of Andrew Davis. Totally. And, David and you hadn't realised. Exactly. And I had no idea. <laughs> They're often referred to as a, as a pair of ravens. Um, yeah. Quite like that metaphor. Yes. So quite often, uh, Jock uh, refers to them flitting around like like ravens. Yes. And of course, you could argue uh, because of the nature of uh, the Tower of London and the, if the ravens ever leave the tower, the yes. Fall. And you could argue that there's a bit of a metaphor going on. Totally. With that. Interesting when when we go over to Poland for the follow up film, a very Polish practice in 1992. Yeah. There are. Another pair of nuns. Yes, if not more than one uh, pair, sometimes I think. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which they aren't the same nuns. But, no, uh, but they are nuns nonetheless. <laughs> nuns nonetheless. Yes. yes. Uh, played by Sonia Hart and Elaine Torrell. Yes. And uh, they don't have any words yeah. at all. But Peter but Davison, so in his autobiography, says, says that they were absolutely part of the team. You know. Oh yes. They were very much part of the regular cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the only other characters to feature in all fourteen episodes, yeah, um, as, as as the main four I mentioned earlier, yeah, absolutely. So I need to unpack some of my university experiences through these episodes, if you don't mind. That's gonna, that's just gonna happen, okay. just by by a matter of course. But I think we should probably look at each character in turn. Would that be a way to go? It certainly is. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would like to start with Bob Buzzard, if I may. <laughs> Bob Buzzard is the absolute, I mean, for want of a better word, breakout character of the show because he is utterly a monster. Yes. Uh, but, I mean, in many ways they're all monsters, but for some reason, Bob, sorry, Robert, um, yes. does, he does make an impression. And he makes an impression right from the opening episode. And to be honest, uh, he is the only one of the leads who, uh, apart from the, the couple uh, of uh, uh, Stephen Dacre and Greta, who make it through to the uh, the follow-up yeah, film. Yeah. So obviously his story still needed to be told. <laughs> so without him, I don't think the film would be half as yeah, uh, interesting. It needed that madcap element. Um, I'm just on that subject of him being called Bob by everyone. It's that beautiful line which Jock has, which is, um, well, Bob says to him, do you think you can manage Robert? And he says, I'll try, Bob, but old habits die hard. Which is <laughs> <laughs> just brilliant. Um, yes. So basically, Bob is a public schoolboy with aspirations. But he's he an imbecile, a, isn't he? He's an imbecile, really. He is an imbecile. Yeah. But again, I mean, you could argue that aren't all public schoolboys yes. with ambitions. Totally. Um, and he lives with a dreadful wife and the dreadful twins. <laughs> Drives a BMW like a raving BMW driver, yeah. and um, and yeah, he's he's terrifying. Yeah. Bob Buzzard is quite frankly terrifying. He hates patients with a passion, yes, and yet somehow has ended up being a well a GP for want of a better word, but a doctor, yeah, in a medical practice, yeah. And I think um, you learn so much about him in that first episode. 
that um, oh, tells you everything you need to know. But I was a bit scared at first because thinking, oh, I don't know this series very well. Is it going to be? Is it going to be really sexist and terrible? But I realised later, as it moved on, oh no, they're sending him up as the worst sort of person. But I mean, mm. the first talk of Rosemary, nothing that a damn good. No, it's about um, Maureen. Nothing that a damn good Rogering mm. wouldn't sort out. Mm. Yeah. And always get the to- and all- always get the totty on someone else's list. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Dipping the buzzard, buzzard wick. Oh, yes. yes he, do- he does use uh, expressions like totty. He does bandy them around. This is the schoolboy nonsense that that we still hear from our politicians, even. To yes, this day. we still are but hearing it's... it now. Yeah. yeah. But these people who basically, again, it's funny we were talking about being institutionalised in universities, yeah. but there are a lot of. There seem to be a lot of people who are institutionalised to their public schools and the rest of the real world is always a massive disappointment when it doesn't quite allow them to be bullies and yeah. and, and horrible, ghastly human beings. Um, or at least they get away with being horrible, yeah. ghastly human beings, but they, they seem to find that the world finding this offensive. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand why, because that was perfectly normal within that world for them. Yeah, in that world of male-white privilege. Yeah. yeah. Not a bad girl. Figures too short, planks, of course. Loves to be jollied along, teased a bit. Spect you noticed that. No, I didn't actually pick up on that, Bob. Really? Rosemary next, I think. Some people find her a bit prickly. Don't see that myself, just another woman. My personal view is there's nothing wrong with Rosemary that a damn good Rogering wouldn't sort out. <laughs> Come to think of it, you might be the very man. I mean, he's also one of these people who has to dominate other other men, but other people. Yeah. Uh, and one of the ways he does that is on the squash court. And, yes, uh, such a cliche. And by sports generally. Yes. And of course, let's face it, we've all met people like that. And even before he got to the pool, I knew he'd be wearing Speedos. He's that sort of guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, of course. Um, he does swim like a torpedo. He does his six lengths oh, very impressively. Oh, he does. Got to admire, you've got to admire that about Bob. His swimming skill is is very, very, yeah. uh, very, very good. Yeah. You know, and obviously he's a, he's a monster on the squash court. Unfortunately, he uses it as another opportunity to, in grown up land, to still bully people, yeah. and that's kind of uh, kind of disturbing. And he also doesn't understand why people find him unusual. Yes. Yeah, well, he's got no self-awareness, has he? That's why, I guess. Yeah. But this is part of his initiation ritual for Stephen, who, on his first day, uh, we get a whole lot of stuff about the way where the feature, the, the signage of the university, which is all about alter priorities ahead and all this kind of thing. Basically, he comes to the university like a fresher wood. It's completely yes. a bewildering, yeah. completely bewildering environment. Yeah. And he is as bewildered as any anybody arriving at a university would find it. Yeah. And he arrives a week before term. And the campus is just this maze of baffling signage, which strangely enough then features the week after in his um, he has he has terrible nightmares uh, around his life at the university. And, and we get exactly the same sequence, but with much more sort of uh, fisheye lenses and much more sinister. So you get the same signs again yeah. the week after. Yeah. But uh, he arrives at the, uh, the he finally finds his way to the university medical practice, which again is an anachronism when you think about it. How many universities now have their own medical practice? Very few. There are still some. Yeah. But um, and this is a medical practice that has four doctors uh, that can do fifteen minute consultations. This this all seems on paper like you know an ideal place for a an idealistic young doctor to work 
and he walks through the door and he's treat because nobody knows he's coming because they think a different person has got the job nobody knows he's coming and he meets the receptionist who thinks he's a patient yeah and therefore treats him like shit yes. of course because <laughs> all medical receptionists do that's their role yeah. There's also a fascinating thing is that you've got a weeping student. He's already encountered one weeping student in the in the Union Bar, I think it is, or in one of the uh, one of the entryways, and and we get our second weeping student in the in the uh, in the waiting area. So we know now that this is not necessarily a happy environment. Uh, he is he is introduced to uh, Bob, and Bob gets to give him the grand tour and. Uh, of, of the practice and also the university and obviously then challenges him to this game of squash as a kind of way of exerting his dominance. As a way of showing him uh, that his cock's bigger, basically. Yeah, basically, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> and in those speedos, it's hard to doubt. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so basically this is how the, the, the plot of the first episode is driven. Let's put that way. Yeah. And I think the most important thing that we learn, other than his blatant sexism, which stands in sharp relief to um, sharp relief to Rosemary's, is that he does not want to go into anything personal. And there's that brilliant moment where he's like, "Do you mind not going into all of that? Don't talk to me about how you feel." That's that actual scene in the first episode yeah. where they're the, just the, him and went after they've done the tour, yeah. and it's just Stephen's office. Yeah. I think that is. I mean, it's a very long and very talky scene, mm. but it is absolutely a brilliant piece of television. Let me tell you about this terrible place, Stephen. They call it a new university, but it's 20 years old now. Concrete's crumbling, all those bloody silly flat roofs leak. We've got a repair budget four times the total salary bill. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like a very, very inefficient sector of British industry. Top management are totally corrupt and idle. Middle management are incompetent and idle, and the workforce are bolshy and idle. And of course, there's no bloody product. <laughs> no wonder people get ill here, and there's nothing else for them to do. I don't know why you're trying so hard to put me off, Bob. I'm here now. I'm actually looking forward to the work. It's too late to scare me away. I'm doing you a favor. Look, have you unpacked yet? No, I came straight here. If I were you, I'd get back in your car and drive straight back to Wolverhampton. It can't be worse than this. Just the two of them talking yeah. about and you know how they ended up where they are the the birmingham 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 walsall oh yeah that's you that know. sentence is such so full of drudgery and it's something i really understand it's just, i also love that it fact it's it, it there's no progression there you know it's not progression if anything it gets a bit worse with walsall doesn't it so it's kind of like yeah it's not it's not a high flyer path is it by any means for, for no Baker. absolutely yeah so can we move on to rosemary Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Barbara Flynn, who, yes. who we adored in um, the Biderbeck uh, series, way back in episode B. Yeah. But the problem I have with that is because she's so lovely in mm. Biderbeck that mm. I was thrown off guard completely, and I was right. all the way through. I was still waiting for her to be nice or to be heroic, mm. but she is utterly ruthless, and yes. it's. And manipulative and unscrupulous and all those words and it's such a surprise if you're used to Barbara Flynn being nice and mm. it's also a product of our own innate sexism I think as well that the woman mm. would be an ally and would be someone who will support and take care of the male characters and the fact that she doesn't I think is brilliant mm. 
and really mm. makes this a modern take and it's very much like mm. why should she why can't she just be a manipulative woman and also mm. a feminist um yeah whatever yeah how do you do how do you do <laughs> rosemary what oh dear <laughs> just rosemary that's my full name i'm not exactly into patronymics Stephen. <sighs> sorry um going through the whole of one's life labelled as one man's daughter, another man's wife. Yes, of course, absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> I know just what you mean. As a matter of fact, my wife doesn't... <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, you are... Oh, you mean what do I do here? Have you heard this little story, Stephen? The doctor and his son are in a frightful car accident. The doctor's killed outright. They rush the son to hospital for brain surgery. The surgeon takes one look at the boy and says, I can't take this case, that's my son. Explanation? Ah. Oh, oh yes. The surgeon is the boy's mother. I'm a doctor, Stephen. Not a nurse, not a physiotherapist. Yes, of course you are. Look, I'm dreadfully sorry. <laughs> I didn't for a moment mean to imply that you... <laughs> you know, I, I, I was just... Uh... You mustn't feel you have to apologise all the time, Stephen. I know it's very difficult to be a man too these days, if you have any sensitivity at all. All the paintings uh, that you get of all the characters in that first episode are astounding. Stephen is just so immediately so embarrassed and it starts to gush and ramble and babble because basically an attractive woman is talking to him yeah. and, and telling him that he's got things wrong and... Uh, and I think this is isn't that the scene that uh, that Bob ends with? I think you've made an enemy for life. Now. Yes. And he, and, go, and he goes, "Oh gosh, have I? Oh crikey!" Yeah. You know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, later on, you've got her saying, um, "You know, oh, I'm, I couldn't help you. I couldn't possibly help you, Stephen. You're part of the problem. You see." <laughs> you know? and again, we get that sex. Sorry, it's illness is something that men do to women, and she's keeping files. On yes, I wrote that down. She's got a file of evidence against against Bob that you see very early on. But it's a few mm. episodes in, you realise she started a file on Stephen because she's looking oh, to yes. to remove him as well, and it's just brilliant. It's just so mm. oh, and she's so sexy and flirts outrageously, but. At the same time, and she is sexual, but at the same time, she's she's going to take charge of her destiny and her body, and you know, use it mm. however she chooses, and that's brilliant. So, um, mm. Jock, ah, oh, Jock, an absolute vision in of whiskey and loud ties. Yeah, uh, the marvelously, brilliantly, fabulously understated actor <laughs> Graham Crowder. <laughs> Jock McCannon. Oh, How many Nymon yeah. have you seen today? <laughs> ah, well, yes, there is that. But um, but strange, strangely brilliant performance. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I can't... Re Again, the, the, the scene where, where uh, Peter Davison's character, Stephen Dacre, first meets him yeah. and he thinks he's a patient. Yeah. Is, and of course, now, now, his... his Chief claim to fame in the university is was it sexual anxiety in the common yes, cold? Yes, his masterwork, a book he yes, wrote yeah. in the seventies, yeah. uh, when when the university was at the forefront of uh, whatever that kind of thinking was, psych, psych, psychological uh, medicine. Yeah, uh, was they were at the forefront of psychological medicine, and and what we get now is this this slow decline. I mean, the university is twenty years old, and it is in massive, massive decline. Mm. And Jock has sort of 
been stood there and witnessed it all yeah. and has seen it fall and it is it has broken him as a human being uh, his libido is non-existent and he drinks whiskey like water this university is a swamp of fear and loathing it's the cuts the ugc has both his hands round the university's throat Early retirements and voluntary redundancies, savage competition between colleagues, even in this medical practice. Oh dear. Oh dear, you say. You're not joining a happy team. They're trying to get me out. Me first and then you, or just maybe the other way around. We have to keep one jump ahead of them. Who? Your colleagues. Black Bob and the Bonnie Lassie. You realize you come into this practice as technically senior to both of them. They're seething with bile, Stephen. It's a mercy they hate each other so much. God knows what it would be like if they ganged up. Well, uh, thank you for taking me into your confidence, Dr. McKinnon. Jock, all first names here. So I can count on your discretion and your loyalty then, Stephen? Yes, of course. Your personal loyalty to me as head of this practice. Well, yes. Naturally. Good. Can I ask you a question? At mm. what point did we stop stop calling alcoholics dipsomaniacs? <laughs> oh. Uh, possibly uh, about the time that Alcoholics Anonymous became better known. Yeah, it's just a funny thing, because I even thought that's such an old-fashioned phrase to be on the box set. And I read it mm. off the box set myself, and I was like, oh, that just means he's an alcoholic, doesn't it? But we'd never say dipsomaniac mm. now, because it's kind of almost giving it a, a cutesy name. <laughs> it's kind of a bit... Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually, because I, I feel it has alliteration. I, I've heard it as a, 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 diplo- a dipsomaniac, well, maybe dipsomaniac doctor. But... Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about Jock, again, he, he has a very different journey in Series 2, which we'll come back to. But I think mm. my favourite... Moment, and we'll talk about favorite moments in the first series and favorite episodes. But in the um, the VD epidemic episode, contact tracer is when he's running it like a military campaign and just loving yes. it with his um, with his swagger stick and the board and working out how it's all how, it, how it's spreading. I feel that that may be, uh, I'm sure that, that Graham, Graham Cruden, Cruden played a lot of that kind of role, yes, that would have been in the 60s and 70s. Natural. I just had yeah. this vision yes. of him in military uniforms waving a yes. stick about, so yeah. I don't, I don't. I don't think it was a leap for him. No, certainly not. <laughs> so, should we talk about Stephen Dacre? In a way, because he's the sort of everyman character, he's the way in for the viewer because he's mm. the most normal. In a mm. way, in a very sort of Peter Davison way, he's he's perhaps the least in your face. No, he's definitely the least in your face of the four leads, and. Mm. I think if you'd had him being eccentric as well, you'd be like, oh, God, this is too balmy. I can't deal with it. Because you need to sort of see the others through his eyes and his understanding. Mm. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have bags of character and interest. He's this hapless, naive romantic. And he can't quite believe what he comes to. I mean, at the start, he says, you don't mean any of this stuff at all, do you? And he discovers that (laughs) that he does. I think that's about Bob. He says that. But There's an interesting aspect of of his character in this, in many ways uh, because he, he certainly plays a lot of stuff with he has a high voice when he gets panicky <laughs> yes which i always think is very interesting which i do as well so right I'm, I'm kind of i've kind of kind of relate to that fear thing he has a lot of, I, I i actually felt apart from the fact that he was a doctor and i was never going to be a doctor yeah i actually i actually 
I felt a lot of empathy with his character because I, I did I did feel very much that fear of everything. Yeah. Um, character. Now it's interesting that his he replaces a someone who's been banished from the university. Yeah. And apparently that character was going to appear. Ah. According to uh, they they actually they were going to put a a. A, a Doctor Who, uh, but they felt it would make it too seventies, really. Ah, so they, okay. they they decided that he would be excised. But apparently, in the early drafts, there was this other Doctor ah. who, he, um, he, who 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 the one he replaces um, was going to feature. Yeah, according to to the uh, the chat they do on on one of the yeah. episodes. Yeah. yeah. I, the thing about his character compared to his colleagues is that he actually really likes being a GP. Uh, yes. he, and he's also a great doctor. He he gives mm. the best diagnoses. He saves that girl Sarah Lamb from the adventure game mm. and Howard's way in the first episode. Mm. Um, he's he's really good at what he does, mm. but he, he's not a straightforward character in the sense that he's got issues. He's got this touch taboo, which is really interesting yes. through dodgy learning. Well, He's coming off a failed marriage, yes. isn't he? He's, uh, this is this is his fresh start, having had his presumably his Walsall marriage as yes, as kind of uh, disintegrated. Um, yeah. Uh, so he is basically very broken. Yeah. And uh, and indeed strangely loyal, because uh, actually when you think about it, in the first yeah. episode, Jock basically massively, massively. Yeah. Uh, uh, fucks up in in a, in a huge way, yeah. and yet he doesn't dob in old Jock, and he's suddenly realizing that the doctors he's working with are all maniacs. But he but he's he does get to put up with it. But he just gets to show that seal at the end of the first episode, doesn't he? Where it's like, and I do drink, but it's just I don't drink on duty, and this is why yeah. because of what you did, you know. Yeah, so um, yeah, but he's also one of these characters who, despite everything, little abstainer. Yeah, that's it. Well done. That's good. Peter Davison's Dacre, he's he comes to a realization that despite all this madness, he actually finds some solace with Lynn and he gets over his touch taboo gradually. But mm. at one point he says, I'm alive and this is a beautiful university, even though it patently yes. isn't. And yes. there's something about him finding the joy in life, which is definitely one of the messages of the show, despite all the darkness. There's a kind of bloody-mindedness to Stephen Dacre where he persists in deciding he's going to do the damn six lengths, yeah. which nearly kills him. Yes. And he is rescued by the lovely Lynn Turtle. Yes, indeed. Uh, Amanda Hillwood, who you will recognise from one series of Inspector Morse, who played Grayling Russell. Yeah. Amongst others. And in real life was married to Max Headroom. Ah. Yes. So you can't get more eighties than that, can you? Her hair. No, 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 no. No, you can't. Her hair and be married to Max Headroom. Well, there you go. There's a story in again they tell on the the audio commentary where when she does the rescue scene that she was a bit disconcerted and she nearly actually drowned Peter Zavison by putting pushing his head under the water. But apparently they said, well, she was disconcerted because her pants came off as she dived in. That wouldn't help. I need to tell you about Lynn because Lynn is really interesting because she's a competent, gifted woman who yes. has her own agency and she's a policewoman. And because she's this policewoman, she's at the university, she's looking in and therefore she's not quite in the madness. So she's got more of a good perspective. I'm here on research scholarship, PhD in body language. <laughs> See, I knew I shouldn't have told you. 
You're scared of brainy women, aren't you? No, no, really. I'm just scared of women. I mean, that's really interesting. PhD in body language. Yeah, it's dead good body language. Hmm, let's see. Over there, the girl with the toffee-coloured hair. Oh, uh, yes. Well, that's a dead easy one. Everything turned to everything open. She's even turning her palms up. You hardly ever see that. She's making a present of herself to that bloke. She's almost certainly virgin, too. Yes. 99%. What are you grinning at? Nothing. What about him? Ah, oh, well, that wouldn't be fair. I've inside knowledge of a friend of Carl's. Your body language is very interesting. Oh, God, I was afraid you were going to say that. You've got very expressive hands, but you're sort of scared of them. Now, that's really odd, because I don't think you're violent. Here, let's have a look. Ooh, really tense. Look, I'm not going to hurt you. How does that feel? Very nice. No, it doesn't. You hate it. You've got a touch to it. I was really surprised by Lynn because, like her, I do behavioural research. I stopped working at universities in order to go out and freelance and help universities to do more behavioural research rather than crap like surveys and focus groups mm -hmm. and actually find out how people were really feeling but also what they're actually doing. Yes. So I do behavioural mapping. I do the body language stuff. I do observation. So I was really amazed to see it in this drama just, just all there because it was so unexpected. I had no idea it was part of this series. Come in, my dear chap. You're like you can make it. Blair Athol, am I right? Um, no, it's Stephen Dacre. Of course, of course, of course. Last-minute substitution and a very, very shrewd one, I'm sure. I'm Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, it can't be helped. Never done me any harm, in point of fact. I'm the vice-chancellor. Oh, I see. Come and have a drink. Thanks very much. Nothing no. alcoholic for Stephen D. <laughs> this man's a total abstainer. I'm not a total abstainer. All this man needs is love. That's all any of us yes, need. Yes, absolutely, John. The Scotch is over there. Uh, <clears throat> You've probably gathered you're joining a bit of a problem team, Baker. I mean... Plenty of talent there, but all pulling in different directions. And, of course, the captain is one of the walking wounded. You could do very well indeed for yourself, Dacre, if you like a challenge. And also, we get, we get the horrible faculty party. I'd forgotten, actually, on the rewatch, that, that Ernest Hemingway is in episode one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought he only featured in the last three episodes of the series. He was more of a sort of... one. You know, like in a lot of dramas, you get the unseen but constantly yes. mentioned character. I thought that Ernest Hemingway was that, but it, but he's there right in episode one at the ghastly party. Yes. And so is Hayden Gwynn. Looking just exactly like Robin Penrose. So you think it's almost like but, she's just having a, a visit from wherever she was meant to be. Yeah. I'd forgotten she was in yeah. episode one. Yeah. But what this, this is the other thing I wanted to talk about very briefly, although it will probably, will come back to yeah. it, is that within the 14 episodes specifically, yeah. There are some incredible one-off cameos oh, from people purely. who were going to go on and become astonishingly famous actors. You get Hayden Gwynn, you get um, Hugh Grant, you get Kathy Burke, Mark Addy's in there. You know, there's an uh, what's his name? Simon Russell Beale turns up in one. Yeah. You've got astonishing, I mean, lovely Jeffrey Beavers, although that's slightly different. Yeah. Uh, Thing. But you get people like James Grout. You get people like um, oh, what's his name? Fury. Who plays Fury? Timothy West. 
Timothy West. You know, yeah. you, so you've got these astonishingly big hitters. Yeah. You've got people like Trevor Cooper turning up in one. You've got Liz Crowder turning yeah. up in one. You know, all these people who you will recognise, yeah. who at this stage are just extras and and very small roles. One was really annoying me because I was like, "Who is the Christian girl from episode two? I know her so well. I've seen her <laughs> in a scene so many times." And it was just that one scene from Survival where she's got that charity tin. It's Ange in Perivale. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, know. and it was just like, I can't place you. It was so annoying. But, of course, you also get uh, a fair few Tenko alumni. You do. I believe. Shall I list them? I've got a list of them. You have, oh, you have you Shinya, you have Lillian Cartland, you have Sister Ulrika, you've got Sally, you've got the priest who sends Ulrika away, and you have Sato. <laughs> now, do you think this is... I mean, you've talked to him. Do you think this is because they are part of David, uh, David Tucker's... Um, company, uh, yeah, or... in effect, but we didn't actually talk about it. We didn't talk Tenko once, actually, mm. in the interview, as you will hear. But yes, absolutely, absolutely. Right. Yes. Um, I must admit, I was I was <coughs> rewatching uh, Wives of Great Men yesterday, and I was sat there thinking, I know her from somewhere. I know her from somewhere. <laughs> yes. I know, and I, I I had to look it up. So yes, she is Lillian, the uh, the one who who keeps who basically dobs them in yes. so she can get more food for her boy. That's the one. In the in the middle series of That's Tenko. right. Yeah. Yes. yes. So. Yeah. Other other cast people that seeing as we're on notable cast, I also wanted to mention mm. that the guy in series 2 um who I couldn't place him and Marisa placed him immediately um who plays Sammy Lim is he didn't go on to do anything big but he was peers in the awful Jupiter Moon soap opera later. <laughs> Wow, there you go. So that was just like one of those people who didn't go on to do much. And you also had um, Clyde Tavernier from um, EastEnders turned up at one point, but they were ones who didn't do well. But most of the people were, as you said, people who went on to do well. Yeah. Oh, Sarah Sarah Sugarman from Grange Hill. Um, We've even got people like uh, Peter Blake. Mossy Smith, who of course did Prime Suspect later. Oh, right. Yes. And Robert Lang from Tenko as well. Robert Lang as Lord Thickthorn. Ah, yes. I, I must admit, I, I, did, I did have a happy moment when Robert Lang yes. turned up. I'd, uh, just, yeah, I've been watching a lot of Robert Lang lately. Yes. Ah, there he is again. Hurrah. And, of course, Joe Melia as, as Ron Rost, who features a lot in the novelisations. Ah. Uh, the the novelisations, the whole thing, it seems, the the, uh, the skeleton, if you like, yeah. is, is Ron, Ron Rost's role as the uh, fellow in creative writing at the university yes. who's trying to write about the universe this is basically our mary sue for want of a better yes, word yes absolutely it uh, is andrew davis this is basically yeah. this is andrew davis uh, writing in himself and uh, i think actually uh on first viewing when joe melia turned up as ron rust in that last episode yes. of the first yeah. series and it all just went brilliantly postmodern. Yeah, I, I realised right then that this is a work of outstanding genius. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And you're the um, Arts Council Fellow in Creative Writing, right? And how's it all going? Oh, fine. Well, not bad. Well, it's horrible, really. The room they've given me, it's a bit like death row. But he hasn't got a phone, that's one good thing. My students write about suicide, mostly. Yeah. I'm having a whale of a time. Are you able to do much writing of your own? Ah, well, that, that's the problem, really. You see, I seem to owe the BBC 17,000 quid for reasons I can't quite understand. 
So I decided to write off the debt with this little serial. Uh, set in a place something like this. Well, you know, the sort of thing. Sharp, satirical, black comedy with a bit of Chekhovian understated pathos. Heaven on wheels, right? The thing is, this place is crazy. Every time I think up something really outrageous, reality comes up and tops it. Any damn fool thing I think up really happens. It's as if the university is mocking my powers of creative intelligence. And also when he meets him at the start of series two and he says, oh, I've been commissioned for a second series. <laughs> it was so brilliant. No, it's, it's just, and then yeah, the Ingvar absolutely. Bergman um, scene in um, the final episode yes. of the last series. Yeah, brilliant. So it, and that's the thing, Ron Ross, he doesn't do much, but what he does... Mm. Apart from getting his both both his feet run over by nuns, mm. is uh, it's just it is a brilliant touch, and I, I it it actually is what raised it in many ways yeah. from you know another university drama into something where you start to realise actually there's something rather special. There's going something on. special and meta and very clever going mm. on here. Mm. Can I talk about Ernest Hemingway? Um, you and my own John Burke. Yes, so. He's brilliant, and he is... He's called the Poison Dwarf, which I love. Because <laughs> there's also... He's not a tall man, is he? he's also got the Poison Dwarf in Dallas at that point, which is what always Terry Wogan ah. was called Lucy Ewing. But um, a very different Poison Dwarf, and you think he's really evil until, of course, series two, and then you get proper evil in the form of Jack Daniels, the new VC. Mm. But he's the vice-chancellor of the university. He's always doing stuff for his own gain. He's, a, he's an evil little shit. Um, and he mm. becomes more evil as he goes along. Now, he was very like someone who I'm going to talk about because they're dead. And they were the director of the business school at Oxford, where I was a mm. um, um, librarian. And mm. he was called um, Hopwood, Anthony Hopwood. Okay. And he was a dangerous little twerp. He really was. But mm. the funny thing was, this is just to show you how similar the weird world of university and Lowlands University is. It's exactly the sort mm. of plot I could imagine happening. Um, my boss, um, I was the deputy there, my boss told me that her and the other female senior staff members at the business school got together one evening and they, at the pub, and they, there was a moment of silence and they all quietly cursed him and wished him dead. Right. <laughs> and, and about a year later he died. And ah. these senior women women managers at the business school were all convinced they'd killed him. <laughs> it, was just, yeah. it felt so much like a very peculiar practice thing. Looking back, it's so... Yeah. You know what I mean? It has a sort of... Oh, absolutely. You can see that. I think there's a, there is a fascination. I, I uh, used to briefly, uh, for part of my life, I was involved with a theatre group yeah. in Stockport. Mm. And people always used to say to me that whenever you go to a different theatre group, you get exactly the same characters. Mm. So I think that that is actually probably true as you, of universities as anyone, yeah. is that you will people will... And again, again, the people who watch this show, apparently after the first series, they were all saying, oh, I know you based that on, I know you based that on. A lot of students were saying, oh, that's exactly yeah. like our lecturer and yeah. this. Or, and, and he was saying none of these people were real. They were yeah. Some of them were amalgamations of people yeah. he knew. But basically, you're dealing with something that is <laughs> universal or university universal. Yeah. These characters exist yeah. in all sorts of places. Yeah, I mean, I've met so many Professor Furies, and I'd also met mm. the same 
reaction to him, which was, oh, mm. oh, you didn't cross him, did you? That's not a normal, you know, you can't do that. He's mm. a special case. Now, my modus operandi when I was at Oxbridge, both of them, was I will not, I refuse to treat them as anything other than normal human beings, even though they are not. Mm. And I always called mm. everyone by their first name and I always got into trouble, mm. particularly the more junior I was. But I just refused to play that game. And I was really pleased that yeah. Dacre didn't. I really went, yes, Dacre, just give it to him. But um, they're not normal people. And I think it's so good how it portrays academics so brilliantly, truly. These are people you who... should yeah. explain yeah. briefly who Professor Fury is. Yeah, so he's in the episode Wives of Great Ma- Men. He's a professor who is going through a midlife crisis and mm. his wife's having an affair it turns out with rosemarie and mm. um he's tracking his wife and he's not able to concentrate but he, he's someone mm. who's had mental health episodes isn't he mm. mm-hmm. one of the best scenes in the first series is when they go to that poxy university <laughs> restaurant where you just know the food would have been awful and i just love his treatment of the people in the restaurant it's a hilarious scene and did you yeah did you uh, hear what peter davison said about that scene no i didn't no apparently his future wife turned that scene down <laughs> oh elizabeth morton yeah. Oh, really? Apparently. So he says it's a rubbish scene and everything like that, but she apparently was up for it and she turned it down. What, the waitress being the waitress? The waitress. The one who he calls Toots. Yeah. Oh, wow. How interesting. But apparently, apparently she was up for it and, and her friend advised her to go for the theatre job she was offered at the same time instead. Yes. So but apparently it's just one of those little... Yeah, quirks of fate. <laughs> but the brilliant line that I wanted, I think I'll, I'll play it in though, but um, it's... Um, mm-hmm. It's when he admits... I'm a bit out of control, aren't I? Yes, you are a bit. I feel absolutely fine, but objectively, I think I'm going crazy. And also about the two other people in the restaurant, and he's like... Those two don't care about food, they're eating each other. My compliments to the chef, and would he care for a fist fight with Professor Fury? Oh, there's so much in that, but, but Fury is a very real character to me, and I had to deal with mad professors mm. all the time mm. yeah I, I briefly wanted to touch on episode two just yeah. because uh this is the we love you that's why we're here oh yeah i want to talk about that as well it features it features two well one interesting thing and one great thing and and the, the interesting thing is i like the way that you are introduced to the whole of university life through these two students oh uh, it's very clever two freshers, it? very clever yeah. two two freshers who are sharing a room and basically everything in that episode really is, is is sort of seen through their eyes to a certain extent you know the entire plot is driven by their visits to the medical center their various classes and everything like that and around that story uh you get stephen having to do this utterly brilliant speech <laughs> it's utterly utterly brilliant when when bob has slipped him some drugs and yeah. and chen we have have we talked about chen yet we haven't no, we haven't talked, talked about chen, about chen. We mentioned the Wyshinia, but nothing more than that, yeah. Yeah. Ch- Chen is uh, Stephen's brilliant mathematician uh, flatmate, for want of a better word. They, uh, Stephen is the warden, isn't he, of, of one of the halls of residence, and so he gets a flat with the job, uh, but he has to share it, and, and it's one of those uh, one of those temporary arrangements that yeah. ends up being permanent because it's Lowlands University. And It's, it's any so, university. 
that is. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but, 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 but Chen is really, really nice. Um, but one of the things he does is when he's having these nightmares is he makes him a cup of tea and he wakes up and he's staring uh, staring into the face of Chen and Chen gives him this cup of tea. But unfortunately, the, 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 the cup of tea is given on this particular time is, is sort of like three quarters whiskey. So he goes off to do this speech, which I just think actually the, when... Because he's a nervous wreck, Stephen Dacre, because we know he's a nervous wreck. When he gets that first chuckle, the rest of that speech is glorious. It's absolutely glorious, and I love that scene. But you're not just a set of symptoms to us. You're you. And we care about you. <clears throat> oh, I think he's wonderful. I think he's drunk. One last thing. There's one big snag about being a doctor. Basically, you only see people when they're ill. <laughs> when they're down. And that can be really depressing, I can tell you. But look, it doesn't have to be like that. Don't feel you have to be ill to come and see us. I mean it. Come and see us when you're feeling fine. <laughs> we care about you. That's why we are here. I think I just committed professional suicide. Another thing where it really oh, chimes for me so much is the career I've got in user experience is all about me going to universities and saying, you actually need to love your students and you need to show them that you're there for them. So it's absolutely that speech. I could almost play that speech into my training sessions and say, look, this is what you need to say. And it may be, it may feel too loving. It may feel too emotional, but it's absolutely that message. We love you. That's why we're here. And that's what I'm always telling university departments that they need to say and or at least if not say it, show it by having a properly holistic interest in who these people are and not only mm. seeing them and relating to them when they are in crisis. So it's a f yes. oh, honestly, it just chimed with me so much. I couldn't believe it was in the <laughs> drama. I'm like, this is my shtick. Yeah. This is. Yeah, there you go. Bizarre. Now, you, now we all know where you nicked it from. <laughs> yes, even though I've never seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> life imitating art imitating life totally bizarre mm. yeah and also in episode two you have um the christian girl complaining about how they're going to do participant observation research of a sikh temple but that's exactly the sort of stuff i get my people to do at universities is to do participant observation research and yeah. oh it's just so weird and lynn being a behaviorist i'm like yeah. oh my god this series was written for me even though it wasn't Something we should talk about the theme tune. Oh yes, let's talk about that now. Yeah. Um, okay. So Elkie Brooks. Um, Elkie Brooks unreleased sings the theme tune. You can't get it anywhere. I did mm. look for it on Spotify. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, we love you. That's why we're here. Yeah. Um, strangely enough, people seem to have had problems with the lyrics. I don't believe I ever did, but um, no, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take that many lyrics. I mean, most of the lyrics are actually lines from that first episode. Yeah. 
And it's this sort of it's this sort of post-apocalypse landscape, isn't it? With the university at the centre, but then there's a giant heart mm. which is saying, you know, we love you, and it's about this love is conquering this apocalypse. So it's a curious mix. Apparently, of... the skyline, the skyline of the University of East Anglia. Okay. So it's a curious mix of messages, and mm. and I have to say, lucky David Tucker. It's it's one of the best presentations of a director name on any show, isn't it? It's like director David mm. Tucker. It's huge. Mm. Um, Bob Cosford, I think. Bob okay, Cosford. and it's what, it's dot of animation. It's a bizarre theme tune, but it fits perfectly. The problem is that in my head it keeps it keeps mingling with that bloody Julian thingamajig one from Star Cops. The two. Stars. Oh, you see, I don't know they're similar. They're aren't they? about the same I've era. I've never seen mm. Star Cops, so yeah. Mm. But I, I've unfortunately my my lyric mind goes into the other one halfway through sometimes, which is in my head. Yes, kind of, kind of disturbing. Anyway, should we? Back to the episodes. So we have episode four is Black Bob's hamburger suit. You've got t- Contact Tracer, the Hit Which List, is a work of genius, and Catastrophe Theory. Yeah. So you love hmm. Black Bob's hamburger suit. Tell me why. To be frank, I can't see a, a duff one in there. No. This is very difficult for me. I mean, uh, to briefly cover it, Black Bob's hamburger suit is an absolute joy and involves the worst Sunday lunch in the history of Sunday <laughs> yes, lunches it on does. television. It does. And indeed, we get to visit, we get to meet the dreadful Daphne and the dreadful twins, yeah. and 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 Bob gets to drive. Or does he get to drive the rock box in this one, or does he get to? I think does he so, get to drive yeah. the beam? I think so. Uh, so we, and does some terrible BMW driving. Yeah. And there's uh, Daphne is the the wife of Bob is what, everything you would expect. And I've again, we know people like this, yeah. but uh, you, we avoid them like the plague these days. But we know people like yeah. this with that sense of absolute ambition and disappointment in their lives but also this strange there's a there's a lovely scene where she refers to lynn as the the girl in the boiler suit yes yes and it's just it's just so damning yeah uh and 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 they also have uh some terrible rep who's a friend of bob's who's trying to get him to to should we say make 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 some deals on the side yeah. and, and do some research. In the end, the research goes horribly wrong. Episode five is Contact Tracer, which of it feels like that's possibly the episode you could lose, but actually at the moment feels so bloody pertinent. Oh, I know. That I feel we should at least. I know. Well, I couldn't believe it came it. up really because I didn't know it was coming. You obviously did, but I, I, thought, mm. I wrote down, we can't bloody get away from this pandemic because there was even an <laughs> asymptomatic carrier, wasn't there? Yes. Who was the, no is is that the um, the interdisciplinary academic? Yes, and that's it, right. No, uh, well, bre- breaking down what was it the expression to break down barriers the between boundaries. yeah. Well, this was yeah. bizarre to me as well. Again, I felt it was writing directly to me. I, off the back of UX research at Cambridge University, pitched that there should be an interdisciplinary network at Cambridge which broke down the barriers between departments in terms of information support. So it was. So fitting, and for that to be the the solution to the um, problem with the contact tracer was this. It was this ID person. It was like, oh my god, I can't believe how pertinent this is. It was very odd. Mm. I had a bit of an out of body experience with that. Yeah. The the only uh, of the episodes that's the one that worries me because it becomes the flighty foreign woman becomes the the reason for that. Yeah, that does slightly date it. Okay, yeah. Apart from that. Fair. But then also it's really sitting at a really interesting time socially, isn't it? Because it's literally just before the AIDS epidemic hits. Absolutely. And yes, literally. 
I mean, they talk about that on the commentary. It, you know, it was within two. With by the time the second series came along, they they were having conversations about whether they should talk about condoms. Yes, and it was really interesting because there was that line about sheaths coming back into fashion. Will the sheath ever come back into fashion? Of course, it was mm. about to in a massive way, and yeah, yeah, it was absolutely. just on that cusp. Um, mm. And yes, it was interesting how you've kind of got series one is pre-AIDS and series two is very definitely post-AIDS hit mm. and you get mention of it and it comes up as an issue. Mm. Um, yeah. And it also features some terrifyingly sexist Japanese businessmen. So, you know, there is, there is a little bit of yes. a problem with contact There's tracing. racism um, with that as well. It's, it's yeah. not, it's not, it's not, it, by any stretch, it's not a bad episode. But the thing about it is, is the way the actual uh, STD is transmitted. Yeah. Is one of the funniest scenes in the, in the, when they start putting dots on the wall <laughs> yes. and, and talk, talking about which which departments are sleeping with which departments yeah. and everything like that. Thirteen cases in two days, two of whom have cheerfully owned up to a surprisingly large circle of intimate friends. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an epidemic on our hands. Aren't you dramatising this just a bit, Chuck? Thirteen cases hardly constitutes an epidemic. But when you take the contacts into account and then the contacts of the contacts... Uh, the contacts of the contacts of the contacts. Will the line stretch out to the end of doom? And, of course, this also uh, involves Ernest Hemingway and his secretary. Yeah. Which is kind of... So, basically, you get the impression that everybody on the campus is sleeping with everybody, yeah. really. At this stage, which again in the post-AIDS era seems very peculiar, but in the way, ah, shall we say, an illness is transmitted, it's fascinating. The con the, the contact tracer idea or the or the notion of a contact tracer now just seems astonishingly prescient in many ways. Yes, absolutely, and so many times that's come up. Um, while we've done this A to Z, it's been a bizarre. So then you have episode six, um, the hit list, which is about trying to get rid of all those old <laughs> dolts and fogies. But that is a gorgeous oh. episode, actually. That oh, absolutely, a gorgeous episode. Uh, uh, not least because of the guest starring role of who plays the uh, professor, Jean Haywood, who is Bella Seaton in when the book comes in. That's her standout role. But yes, she's but, great in this. Uh, and and the whole thing about the women's college and everything like which that is so again, true. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. It also, I mean, again, it features a second of the great dream sequences. I think the uh, the uh, Stephen Dacre's bizarre dreams based around the university, yeah. which, uh, which uh, are kind of kind of a, a commentary on what we've seen so far and what's going on, yeah. or a kind of dark. Can you say a dark commentary on a dark comedy? Yeah, you but, can. Um, they are they are definitely they are sh sort of showing the underlying sort of worries and and that are going on in his mind about the whole world that's going on around him and you get this strange trial episode yeah uh with his with his wife we it's the only time we see his ex-wife uh in this kind of silent sort of it's a bit like that scene in secret army where you, where, you, where you've got this 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 woman who comes in to, for, for Albert Foiré's trial. Oh, and, yes, the Angel of Death character. Who never says a yeah. word, you know. Uh, and it's the same kind of thing. You've got this this this, this demonic vision, if you like, of, of his life being criticised and analysed yeah. and how he how he's not really a doctor and he's all, you know, and all his uh, insecurities come to the fore, mm. you know. Yeah. So, uh, but, but the main plot of that is that they, the women's college is, is trying to be sold off the, sorry, Fairley Hall, which is the residential block for, for the women's college. 
um, is trying to be sold off uh, so that Ernest Hemingway's major master plan to turn the entire university into some kind of cyber uh, electronics yeah. uh, research facility. Because that's where the money is. Uh, <laughs> because that's where the money yeah. is. Uh, and and this old-fashioned studying things like I don't know history yes. seems there was that there was that line kind of... wasn't there who needs history and that and I wrote down that this is the entire problem with the world today is the fact that we oh, yes, don't need absolutely. history and we don't need to look back and the series is so hard saying that mm. I love the fact it's mm. it's it's recognizing so much now and then it's it's mm. even more. I would say it's even yeah. more important to watch now than then. It's just so much it can mm. teach us about what we've failed to take notice of and what we've failed to learn. Mm. Yes. So then you've got the fun. And then the, yeah. the series ends on, on the on the glorious hour that is catastrophe theory, which is just where all the threads sort of come together. And it it's just, you know, brilliant. It's just a brilliant thing. Basically, 25% cuts across the board <laughs> to the university. Panic everywhere. Yeah. And... But all the sort of threads of the series start to sort of tie together into a, it. It's beautiful, beautifully structured, beautifully structured. Yeah, I mean, and that just takes me back to sitting um, in the office with my boss, who was the head of operations, saying, "Oh, it's another twenty-five percent cut, Andy." And I'm like, "So this is a twenty-five percent cut on the one that was last year. So I'm not, that's twenty-five percent cut of my seventy-five percent." Is it? You know, I'm not having those conversations and just like, mm. "Oh, it's too true, too true." Mm. But um, yeah, brilliant. But we get in in the course of this episode, we get uh, we get to introduce the three government. Um, oh yes, visitors, oh. which are so Soames sod, and pretty. Yes, and you are you are sold such a fake situation, aren't you? It's such a clever plot that one. Oh, because your assumption is that Prettyman's a bumbling idiot and that Soames and Sod are the yes. intelligent ones. And, of course, it's switched on its head and you discover that Prettyman's the one who sees everything and knows everything. And and, and he's the only one that matters. Yes, really. and Soames and Sod are, are just fronts of the operation and they are idiots in suits. Mm. Oh, I thought that was so well One written. of which is Jeffrey Beavers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but, oh, honestly, um, Paul Jessen, was it? It was Prettyman, brilliant performance. Yes. And mm. there's that... Oh, that brilliant line I loved between him and Peter Davison. And Peter Davison's telling mm. him the truth. Dacre's telling him the truth. Mm. And yes. and what is it? I'll just find it. Oh, he says, Prettyman says, Four doctors full-time in a practice of this kind is a bit of a nonsense, isn't it? Um, you have very few young children and over 70s, and that's where the bulk of a doctor's work lies. Or have I got it wrong? No, you haven't got it wrong. It is a bit of a luxury. Dear, I was afraid of that. Look, um, Dr. Dacre, I think I ought to say that in these exploratory interviews, the usual form is for people to tell me lies. Does it get them very far? Um, hard to say for certain. Oh, I loved all that. So clever. But again, in the course of that episode, because he has dealings with all of our main characters, um, all our main doctors, he... Um, <laughs> He basically again we get to we get to see every facet of their characters. We get to see Bob. Basically, Bob was at school with him. Yes, with Prettyman, and was at his he was his school bully. Yes. and and suddenly finds out that 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 chicken may have come home to roost <laughs> in a very big way. Um, in a very big yeah. way. When you were head of Junior Dawn, you didn't call me PR, didn't I? No, you called me Ugly Bum. 
and you slip on me every single bloody night. Good God, are you sure? And it was you who pointed out to the whole lower school that the label on my vest said cherub. So it did, so it did cherub. I remember now. Yes, you see, I used to lie awake every night, trying not to sob too loudly. And what I used to think was that one day I'd get that thick, sadistic bastard buzzard major and I'd bloody well crucify him. Really? I see. But I'll, um, I'll try not to let that influence me too much, Dr. Buzzard. Uh, and then also he ends up being seduced by Rosemary. And, and, and very importantly, it's important to say that we see Prettyman's bare bottom. We do. And I think yes. that was... Is he a pretty man, do you think? <laughs> no, but I really was pleased to see it. Not, f- yes. not for any personal reasons, but just because I was worried until that point about the nudity in the series. And I was worried mm. that it wasn't equal. But in fact, mm. is it good? And again, series two, it starts off with you get to see Joanna Kanska naked. and But then mm. there's a lot of more male nudity. So I think it does equal out mm. and there's an equality mm. of nudity and the equality of bottoms which is something we've talked mm. about before but i think that's so important mm. and i'm glad it strikes that right balance well we do get to see the buzzard bottom in yes the series, I believe, but so. i wonder if there's a test and there should be one like the bechdel test which is <laughs> which is is there enough equal nudity if there isn't it's failed this test Maybe we just call it the EOB test, the equality of bottoms test. Can we set that up? It is in, it, it is interesting though because in terms of, of, of there there is an equality of nippleage, but people seem less offended by male nipples than female. Nipples, well, that's because kind of, of the world and what we've been taught, isn't Ooh. it? I, I just thought we we do get to see quite a lot of Peter Davison's nipples. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was just crossed my mind. It was one of those things I wrote down. You made when it I was sound thinking, like oh, he's got lots of them. Then. <laughs> Equality of nippleage. I think that's a different matter because it's con- accepted yes, it in is, society yes. that, you know, yes. e- however weird, you Indeed. know. Yes. Mm. So before we move on to discuss series two, four, we shall. Mm-hmm. I just wanted mm-hmm. to bring together some threads about what uh, two things. One is about how woke the series is. And I want to discuss that mm-hmm. term, but also what we think the first series is about. So can we start with the wokery? Mm-hmm. So, um, of course, Boris Johnson was was asked this question this week, whether he thought Biden was woke, and he completely failed in his answer to the question and showed how ridiculous he is as a human being and well, no, doesn't the, understand. I think the, surp- the surprise there is that anybody would expect Boris to give any kind of answer that wasn't ridiculous. I know, but he had the opportunity mm. to understand about inclusivity, about mm. racism, about sexism, and he mm. utterly failed. And just yeah, as... He's a Bob Buzzard. Yeah, exactly. He's Bob Buzzard. But the point is here that... Whether you call it woke or not, there's an awareness of inequalities in this piece that absolutely fucking blew me away. Mm. And and I mentioned it to David Tucker and he was like, oh, I guess, you know, it was pretty good. But I think, no, I think it was amazing for the time. I really do. And I want to give some examples. The fact that you've got Kirk from Dear John, who was the gay drama teacher in episode two, and... Mm. He's just allowed to be gay without it being a joke or an issue. That's mm-hmm. just a thing. And his boyfriend's mm-hmm. there to pick him up. In 1986. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Amazing. Then we mm-hmm. have the fact of, you know, it's a true collective. And, and Rosemary says, 
yeah, it is. If we ignore the blatant inequalities, <laughs> and she's she's always there picking away at that and making it clear that mm. it's not an equal role for women. It's totally unequal, mm. and she's right to describe women mm. as a colonized race. Back mm. then, that would have sounded like madness. But for to hear mm. Rosemary talk about women being a colonized race now was like absolutely. Mm. And this is what we're still dealing with in terms of sexism. And and then you've also, you know, the, I think it might even be serious too when she's, um, when Peter Davison does that not all, Stephen Dacre does this not all men response, which is so mm. bad. And it's where and he says, what about men? Don't they need sanctuary too? And she has that brilliant line, oh, Stephen, men have always had sanctuary. Ah, oh, and I thought that's brilliant. Sock well, it to him. And the such it, it oh, is brilliant. It is it is actually quite astounding that this stuff is actually in a script that was written yes. in pretty much nineteen eighty five. I um, know. And was broadcast on national television, albeit on BBC. I two, can't believe it. To a ser- in a series yeah. that uh, yeah, it's it is a, it is an amazing amazingly open minded. Again, this is possibly there is a lot of talk that does say that the the you know the <laughs> why people don't like educated people is because educated people sort of actually take the time to think and find stuff out. Yeah. And so what happens is that you've in a, in a university, this sort of idea, these ideas of, of equality and what have you would have been talked about, but they wouldn't have been talked about in the, in the wider world. No. And so within that closed world, it probably, should we say felt more a more normal yeah. conversation, but Actually, in terms of a television series made by the BBC in 1985, it just, you know. Now, whether or not people sat at home and go, well, that's what we're well, exactly. And I know. think they probably thought, oh, she's just a stupid feminist. You know, she's a, she's oh, an extreme feminist. I'm sure that's what they thought well, then. But now, what made her seem extreme then would make her seem, well, that's what all women are saying now. That's, well, not all. More should be saying it. And all of the stuff about structure setting out to suppress women, of course. Mm. Um mm. Yeah, I want to come back to some of that one series too because there's a lot more in there which I loved. But what do you think the series is about? That first series about yes, in many ways it's a love story told through a, a very bizarre set of circumstances. Yes, indeed. But uh, and in the end, the the characters who are have been brought together by the story are going to be split apart because of her career. And he is sort of willing to make this sacrifice. Chen has already been sort of bagsied off to America, and uh, and the fates intervene, and suddenly the university is going to get merged with Hendon Police College so that they can be together and all live happily ever after. The first yeah. series seems to me to actually be that. Then again, it's funny we talked about this with uh, Ultraviolet. The, the Ultraviolet seemed to be setting up for a second yes. series. The and first series done. seems to be a completely closed story. It, it And everything yeah. is done. Never going to be seen again. This is a, a mini-series that tells you all of, you need to know about university life in the in the mid-1980s. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the main mess- one of the main messages for me is it's part of being human to be to be panicking. Mm. To have terror and to have loneliness mm. is, is something and to have uncertainty about a lot mm. of things but it's also about that big message about we need to love each other we need to show mm. love we all need help mm. and about dealing with people not symptoms from the medical point mm. of view but um well there's no there's redemption real... is there? there's literally no redemption no. And that's the thing. Put, well, no you could you could argue that that peter davison stephen dacre has growth 
within yes. within the series. He gets over his touch to. But generally instance, speaking, so, yeah. uh, the other characters, uh, Jock ends up getting two salaries for doing the same incompetent job, uh, yeah. which I think is a lovely touch. Yes. And uh, but basically, Bob is still Bob at the end of it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Rosemary is still Rosemary at the end of it. You know, they yeah. they have learned nothing in many ways. Uh, yeah. And that that is the fascinating thing that, that the only person who gets properly got rid of is Ernest Hemingway. He's he's yeah. hoist by his own pet toad, as it were. And yes. uh, and and the university itself goes on and goes on. Yeah. Now I want to talk about that police college thing because Marisa said. And, and in fact, regularly as we watched it together, oh, that's silly. Oh, that would never happen. And every time I was like, oh, believe me, that happened. This is real. This is my world. And the police college thing, I ended up supporting criminology students at Cambridge mm-hmm. who were policemen. Okay. Because some academic had obviously said at some point, oh, yeah, we'll have them in. You know, so absolutely all these things that happened were just like, at one point, just because some idiot faculty member at the first college I worked at in Oxford had had a lunch with someone, I ended up supporting the motor parts um, company Unipart. Okay. And it was just like the mad things that I ended up doing just because an academic had run off their mouth and said, oh, yes, someone can do that. Um, oh, just the things that seem silly in the series. If you've not been in the industry sector, in the university sector, they aren't silly. They are absolutely bread and butter. So isn't it Austin Rover that uh, Hemingway's secretary says she's going to go back <laughs> And then she preferred it there, didn't she say? Yes. Yes, perfect. That's Francis White, of course. Uh, The brilliant Francis White from I, Claudius. I, Claudius, yes. And my favourite Doctor Who villainess ever in The Myth Makers. But anyway, that's that's going a long way back. Right, (laughs) so let's play in a bit of Elkie to go into series two. It's a long way from anywhere Okay, so we're back in the room. So having just said that the, the first series feels like an enclosed and complete story, yeah, we get a second series. Yay! And we're as surprised as Ron Rust by this. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I've got to write more of this thing and I didn't realise I could write. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And we've got a post-apocalyptic landscape, landscape to start with, haven't we? Rubbish everywhere. Yeah. There's a sort of dreamlike sequence, which isn't quite real, but it's, it's all well, setting this is... up this different darker series isn't it it's seen i think the the interesting thing is because there is a passage of time at the end of the first series because you get the winter sequence and and everything like that when chen finally leaves there a certain amount of time seems to have passed so this is actually theoretically this is supposed to be the year after yeah but it's actually two years later in terms of real time and everything like that but uh basically we're assuming that whatever happened with the whole because the police college thing didn't work didn't take according to the jock's voiceover at the beginning and and we are left with this desolate space yeah which is in ruins and uh the but new hope the new dawn is coming on the horizon in in the uh, in the shape of jack daniels yes otherwise who is jfk sort of a a jfk well uh, well similarly well when you when you hear david tucker so it was his suggestion the character I didn't even know this. Mm. David Tucker's suggestion was the character, and he also suggested that it was JFK. So mm. you're 
your thoughts about that are absolutely right, Martin. That's in, who is intended to be. Then one morning, sitting by this stagnant lake, brooding upon the death of empires, the doctor felt a new breeze blowing from the west. Sweet voices whispered to him from the waters, speaking of a new initiative. A reprieve for Rollins, massive investment in the new technologies, and a new vice-chancellor. The second coming. A new star rising from the west. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches towards lowlands to be born. Kind of a little bitty pissant place, wouldn't you say, Jack? Sure it is, Julie. But we're gonna make it a paradise on Earth. Let's get this show on the road. So now we have this new situation where Jock, suddenly, it feels like he has all the cards and he understands completely what's going on. He's in this new role for the series. He's kind of overseeing it all from a place of, I've seen this before, I know what the hell's going on here. And he's very, mm. oh, it's just, he, he takes on this magnificent new role of awareness. And yes. even though he's still drinking. And he calls he calls Jack Daniels the Prince of Darkness, doesn't he? And he's Prince wonderfully camp about yes. it all, and it's just mm. so perfectly done. I love all of that. So what's happened is, of course, that uh, in, because all these new uh, cybernetics and electronics uh, departments have opened up, the the university has had a bit of a reshuffle. Yeah. So and and when when uh, Stephen returns after his summer holidays or whatever. Um, Basically, he is treated as if he is some kind of, well, foreign agent or, or yeah. um, interloper, and can't get into, can't get into the medical. Pra- the medical practice has been moved elsewhere. Yeah. But the second one has uh, not been overseen by anybody in the medical practice. Yeah. It's just been sort of uh, given to them. So we do get a different yeah. uh, medical centre. I wanted to mention too. that there was a brilliant bit about the estates man sat there. And he's so upset mm. because because <laughs> his job. And this is my experience with estates people at universities: is to stop people having anything. And suddenly he's in this situation. He's, I've, I've meant to be stopping people from having what they want, and suddenly I've had to build this medical centre just like this, and it's just brilliant. But mm. it's it's a false dawn, is it not? It's it's it not is. these. This medical centre is not for the students. It's for the potential business links and opportunities. Well, might have I think the the whole thrust of the second series is we are in a much darker place yeah. really um, and strangely enough we're in the kind of darker place that has well the way the country has been the last uh, few years totally it's, totally it's a, it's a very interesting metaphor for modern britain in many yeah. ways the second series we go down some very dark paths and some very strange decisions are made uh, in the name of business in the name of yes uh, 
Utterly. all sorts of things that leave the ordinary people oh, and, honestly. And, and people of intellect behind, and that's kind of fascinating. Also very Trumpian, as well as the hideous UK government. It's very Trumpian mm. as well, like this really dumb Republican mm. who people think understands business. Yes. And is presidential in his approach. I mean, he you know he even sets up his office like the president, mm. doesn't he? Like the White House. Oh, indeed. Stuff, I mean, he, he, he makes no bones about it. I mean, he occasionally and he actually at one point, point says yes, he says yes, he said president by accident, mm. doesn't he? At one point, that's right. Yeah. Presidential. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And he's not going to give an inch because no. he just believes in this completely. And and like JFK, we'll treat his subordinates like shit. Mm. I mean, I think we don't. Perhaps in the UK, do we know? as well as parts of the US know about how bad JFK was and just because he was assassinated that there's this kind of rose-tinted thing mm. about him but the reality of his administration and how badly he treated everyone and how he's having affairs left, right and centre, is that known? It's not as well known. The, the affairs are known about but uh, yeah. people tend, uh, again, when, when when the king falls, people tend generally not to... Um, Yes. To, uh, to twist the knife as much as they could or they should. Yeah. But I, I was reading about the way he treated his, his people mm. and it was absolutely Jack Daniels. Mm. Oh, and I love the fact he's called Jack Daniels mm. and the chalk has that name, a fitting name for the great tempter. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's so dark that it actually ultimately, I mean, it leads to death, doesn't it? Which I found quite surprising. Mm. It's like, and you've got these vibrations that are making people seriously ill. Mm. You've got students facing malnutrition mm. because of not being able to afford to eat. And of course, but, this is all a, a statement on Thatcherite approach to university. But it's also the way the world is now. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, yes. it's, it's this, you allow people to starve because you want to uh, support businesses. And it's, yes. it's a fascinating thing to see no being further forward 32 years ago it's 32 I know. years ago now it's, uh... i was astonished martin mm. and i was joyful that it was being told mm. but at the same time deeply saddened by the fact that it's still not understood and still the same priorities are out there 12.50 a year how can you afford to eat i do eight hours a week stacking shelves pay's not very good though and with finals coming up, I'll have to stop that. There you are, then. What do you mean, there you are? Well, it's obvious. She's suffering from malnutrition. Oh, really, Maureen? Come on, do us a favour. This is England. There's a lot of talk that um, Thatcher hated the BBC in the 80s, um, and, and especially the BBC drama, particularly. And yeah. this is the time when they would still make brave things like that, that, that basically were there to point out the shortcomings of the Conservative government yeah. at the time. And unfortunately, yeah. um, <clears throat> the truth of the matter is that uh, what what we see odious creeps like Jacob Rees-Mogg say, or, or oh, Michael Gove yeah. say, or even Boris say, uh, the things we we hear them say to this day are all in this, the roots of it. You can see that those things were already in people's minds as almost perhaps at that time we was they were seen as well. If we don't do this, we're going to end up here, and mm. and we've ended up here. These yeah. these odious people have actually got their wish uh, because they are running the country like Lowlands University is run in the second they series. They absolutely are. Mm. They absolutely are. And I was so astonished to be watching it. Mm. 
with that set with that it's not even thinly veiled. No. Well, they say <laughs> if, they, if they made it now, they'd be the Daily Mail would be having up and uproar. They'd just say, "Oh, you yeah. know, this, how dare you criticise our lovely government? You know, yeah. bloody left, bloody leftoid." whatever left yeah. libertard nonsense and of course Lip snowflake it, yeah. it really yeah. is fascinating to watch this sort of 30 years out of time playing out yeah. in the real world yeah. uh frightening yeah. frightening in many ways uh, we start with the new frontier in which um stephen's own personal situation um we, we there's a constant sense of sense of threat throughout this series. I think that's the interesting oh, thing. Totally. So in the first yeah. instance, when he meets uh, Greta, who obviously is going to yeah. become a big part of his life throughout the series and beyond, but um, he basically because the nurse is off that week and she wants she has to have a, a medical to have her job as a art historian. Mm. Uh, he does this examination and this is misinterpreted by the um, the terrifying Polish. <laughs> she is terrifying. We've got to talk about Greta Grotowska. Yeah. She is a terrifying woman, but that is because of her background oh, yes. and how she's got such a different aesthetic to the British aesthetic. Yes. At one point, she has the she. It's great because you get to see her side of it as well. Because at one point, I don't understand you, British people. Mm. You say one thing and you mean another, mm. and. We find her terrifying because she seems to us to be all over the place and too expressive. And mm. as she says, rude, nasty girl. Mm. And I have had three staff members who remind me of Greta and okay. they all terrified me. They were called <laughs> Yulia and she was from Russia. There's okay. Anna from Poland and there's Natasha from Ukraine. Right. And they were all terrifying in a very similar way mm. in that I never felt I could cross them. They were terrifying in the sense of their the way they express things, mm. but they were also so utterly frustrated mm. by not getting a direct answer from their colleagues and from me, because we were so British. Mm. So I thought Greta was brilliantly realised, again, mm. completely fitted with my experience. Mm. I saw Professor Platt today. My crap department is closing down. Then handshake for Dr. Grotowska. Not very nice, eh? The bastards. Well, you should know you're one of them. What do you mean? You're in Senate. You mean you didn't know about this? Well, I know that Jack Daniels is trying to squeeze arts and social sciences, but nothing's settled yet, Greta. We're going to fight it. How are you going to fight it if the professor takes his money and runs away to Venice? What, do you think I'm a dozy bugger or what? No, I don't think you're a dozy bugger. I think you're wonderful. <laughs> Look, there must be something we can do. I don't want your soft flunk. What is it? Nothing for you to worry about. It's all right, Stephen. You don't have to do anything for me. I'm known in my field. I speak five languages. I can work in Germany. I can work in Paris. I can even go back to Poland. Lots of bastards there too, but at least you know who they are, eh? Look, don't you want to stay here? I want you to stay here. No, I don't think so. I think it's been very convenient for you if I lose my job and go away. I think it's been quite nice for you to amuse yourself with a bit of foreign crumpet till the wonderful girlfriend comes back and you can have your wonderful sex with her again. And maybe have a good laugh about rude, nasty girls at a dog's breakfast in bed. Greta, what are you talking about? Lynn's not coming back to me. So what's all this? Keep taking pills, Doc. I am. Laugh, Lynn. The, the really interesting thing about Greta is that she has sexual hang-ups. And the assumption would be that she's mm. really sexual and that she's a man-eater and all these sort of mm. like terrible assumptions we mm. make about what we can make about women as men. But 
the reality is that she's really bad at sex and that she because she's got a bad self-work she worth she doesn't she doesn't it's not a prospect of something that she wants and there's a brilliant bit where she says um i think he says to her i think we should have sex and she says don't look so happy i think it's going to be a disaster <laughs> it's just brilliant <laughs> Well, it's interesting, again, that both series feature someone who has sexual hang-ups and they are, well, not necessarily, uh, but, you know, they, they are, those are resolved in the course Yes, of the, the sexual anxiety so thing is actually funny. resolved. And um, mm. and there's the brilliant mm. bit where um, early on she says to him, I hate sex, don't you? And, and Dacre says, I actually have a sneaking nostalgia for it. <laughs> <laughs> now we've all been there. Yes. Anyway, yes. Because I think Greta is, is, I mean, she's the heart and soul. She of the is. Series. Yeah. She really is. It's, and, and really, uh, it must have been difficult to walk into that. I mean, I don't, I don't really know why particularly Amanda Hillwood wasn't. I mean, because she, she actually features in yes, two episodes. Yes, I was episodes. very surprised about that. I couldn't believe it when she came back in the last bit. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so she features briefly in the first episode, but also in the last episode. So she, overall, she's in nine of them. And, um, and it is fascinating, I mean, because obviously in the, the, in the role she plays in the final episode is actually very clever and, and very yeah, nicely yeah. done and, and, and very well done. But uh, I, I don't know why particularly, I mean, is it just that they decided to go in a different direction or or she wasn't available? Or I, I, I don't I'm, really know. I imagine they want to go in a different direction because I think, I, I, mm. I, you know, without any saying anything negative about Amanda Hillwood, because I think she's a very competent, mm. direct performance, but I think it's mm. it's just that... It served its purpose. Yes, and because she, wasn't, she yeah. was very mm. sorted, you almost needed someone who was less sorted for Davison to actually sort out once he was mm. sorted a bit, yes. you know. I just think it's interesting sometimes that when you've got a series with well effectively five main characters it's interesting that, that the ones they lose and the ones they keep sometimes and quite often it's it's one of the female characters that goes and I'm just interested about that or whether it was more whether it was a deliberate choice or whether it was a you know a a practical choice because she wasn't yeah. available so they had to create a new I'm, I mean, I don't yeah. know. And, about and that, so. talking about the Bechdel test, which we mentioned earlier, is like series two passes the Bechdel test better than series one on the basis that you have mm. a relationship between Rosemary and Greta, mm. which is mm. a loving relationship, not necessarily a sexual one, which is also very interesting. It's nice to talk and be friends with a woman, talk with men. There is always something else going on there, you know. Greta, you know, I had hoped there might be something else going on with us. Yes, I do know this, but um, too complicated, eh? And we can be friends, harder for men. Yes. I think it's also interesting uh, because what you get, certainly in episode two, Art and Illusion, is very yeah. uh, just a very good satire on art. Yes, as much as anything, Absolutely. and I think that's what the what the second series does is it picks its targets and it, and in in each episode really and really really sort of twists the knife, and yeah. it and it takes Absolutely. each one of those topics and really and takes it apart. I mean, after Art and Illusion, in which the whole thing about fakes and reality and and yeah. value of art is is discussed at great length, and it becomes becomes increasingly aware that, that Greta is much better at her job than, should we say, her head of department yes. is, yeah, and so on and so forth. And all this stuff that's being done 
to up the profile of the university as a I mean because doesn't Jack Daniel's wife want a gallery or something yes yeah exactly that's the only reason she went along with it I think yeah, yeah. which is also a very yeah. true situation yeah. yes but but after yeah. that we tend to look more generally at the arts through the through the uh, role of uh, George Bunn who is played yes he by becomes the, a, yeah. the delightful uh, what's his name I've got to look on his name James Grout. James Grout. And uh, you also made these young women discuss and uh, write essays about them? Yes. Amongst other major 18th century works. And to save you the trouble of more tedious questions, I, I freely confess I took pleasure in this. It seems a curious idea that a professor should not enjoy his work. I also confess that I refused to discuss my choice of syllabus with them. Rather high-handed bun, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm sure it was. You let your undergraduates dictate what bugs and germs they're going to study, no doubt. Well, jolly good luck to you. I take my job more seriously. I was really worried about this character for a while. Mm. And it all came good. And I was so pleased it did. Mm. But the issue being that the James Grout character, um, Professor... What's his... Bun. Yeah. Yes, Bun, George Bun. He comes off as a bit... It's great, I remember his character name. I couldn't remember the actor's name. That's brilliant, isn't it? Because it's really um, weird, because he's, he's George Bun in this, and he was George Bat in Mother yes, Love. <laughs> yes, but he's just, it's just the fact that he, he comes across as a bit of a pompous old fart. Uh, yes. from, the, from the beginning and you think oh he's just one of those people who whinge on and mm. goes I know my yeah. everything like that and yeah. yet actually the, the the arc they have for him across about four episodes I think it is is very fascinating it's a very fascinating oh, arc it's one of the best things in the whole thing because mm. I was really worried because he is a bully to women mm. and he is into erotic literature too much and he puts that in front of the two women mm. Mossy Smith and the other one mm. and he describes um he doesn't think that literature literature should be a branch of feminist politics, mm. and he's a patriarchal throwback. Mm. Um, but the brilliant twist in this series is that ultimately he accepts that he's a throwback, and mm. he realizes that he is a danger to the women, and in the sense of his out of he's out of touch, and that he's a relic, and he mm. needs to leave. Mm. And I just love the fact that he realized that actually this accusations against him although they were false about him mm. you know inappropriate mm. he was out of touch and he wasn't aware he wasn't woke enough in effect he mm. wasn't aware of where he should be in terms of how he was making other women feel and mm. oh i just couldn't believe that was there mm. i was like this is 1988 mm. and of course he he i thought it was brilliant that he went he went off to Oxford, of course. And he's like, oh, because the 18th century is still alive and well there, and I can confirm it is. Mm. But um, He's also a home also... nudist. Yes. A home nudist. Uh, so we do get, um, again, it's a more, more male nudity equality. Yeah. Uh, and it is, it is the mighty James Grout that we see. <laughs> the mighty, superb backside. Yes. <laughs> Yes, he, he's he's definitely he's definitely not, uh, not ashamed of his body, and that's a good thing. And of course, this uh, yes, exactly. And uh, this involves oh, and his, of course, his lovely wife is Sister Ulrich. Patricia Lawrence, yeah, Patricia Lawrence, <laughs> who is only Sister Ulrich now. Sorry, <laughs> no, yeah. But um, again, and this is how he engages because uh, uh, Gresher is a, an authority on the male nude, or the is it the male nude? It is, it is the male nude. Yes, it is. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah. Uh, and so she, he agrees to be photographed by her and all this kind of thing. So that's how she he engages with our, our main characters. But this is also 
part and parcel of the machinations of Rosemary in this series. Yeah. So throughout this series, we get uh, basically Rosemary seems she wishes to have a relationship with Greta. Yeah. And and yet again, because of her own uh, double dealings and what have you, uh, and the fact she ends up having an affair with Jack Daniels, although we're never quite sure whether it's ever consummated. Um, this basically is what brings her downfall. In, interestingly, as well, in the in the course of this series, uh, I know I've touched briefly on Jock being the sort of suddenly the heart and soul and the one who knows what's happening. We also get Bob's downfall, which uh, yes, which is a thing of beauty. It is totally agree, Martin. Um, Brilliant. And it and it's and it's again as a character study of that kind of person and how they are unable to cope, and uh, again, all the stuff that goes on around the dreadful Daphne and and the yeah. fact that, that uh, everything that happens in his life over the course of this series. I mean, I don't really want to go into too much detail for people who haven't seen it yet, but it yeah. is absolutely a, a glorious arc that his character follows throughout the show. There's one moment particularly where. If someone says, oh, are you okay? And he says, oh, I just lost the will to live briefly. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God. You know, it's just he's at the end of his tether and he, like... I think well, that's, that's, episode, that's interesting, like, actually, because when yeah. you think about it, I was thinking, because I was re-watching for Series 1 again yesterday, and there's that moment where Jock decides to end it all and he's going to string right. himself up. And, oh, course, and yeah. Bob goes through the door and finds him and he says, I'm trying to end my life or whatever it is. And, yeah. and, he, just, and he just walks out. Yeah. And then he goes down the corridor and he goes, and he has that moment where you think, mm, I suppose I can't really let that happen. <laughs> yeah. And turns around and goes and, you know, rescues uh, Jock. But yeah. um, but there are, there's quite a lot of suicidal thoughts go yeah. on throughout the course. There are some, there are some very dark places visited. Yeah. And of course there is his misinterpretation of his relationship with, who is the athlete? Glenn, Glenn Oates. Glenn Oates. And that he's brilliant because... He is a gay guy, and yeah, yes. he's a figure of fun, yes. but he he just wants to kiss David Tratton's character. He just wants yes. to kiss Bob. And yes. there's that really funny bit. He says, can we just have a kiss occasionally? He's like, no! Yes. <laughs> just... Well, that's the but, thing. I mean, Bob, yeah, yeah. Bob in that sequence, in, in that sort of area of, of, of the plot, is very much the, you know, the, the person at home. This is how sort of gay rights and everything were being sort of addressed in those days, yeah. i.e., that they oh, weren't yeah. being addressed at all, at and, all, and, and this all was hidden. the reaction yeah. of, 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 and oddly enough, because of the ex-public schoolboy nature of Bob, yeah. it's actually everything he does is very, very, um, very, very. <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for in this? Uh, homoerotic. Yes. Isn't it yeah. really? Everything yeah. he does is actually would would shall we say convince. The, the layman that he indeed was interested in Glenn, even yeah. though, you know, he painly is all this sort of rubbing of thighs and things that he's... Yeah, with his underwear on, just, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. And, and, and yet his, his, his sense of being utterly appalled when this is suggested is, is, is quite... It's just interesting. I think and it's interesting... And he's that, more, yeah, and he's more appalled at the point of view that... He could even have those thoughts himself, and yes. that's where he's appalled, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's not. It's not about it as in itself. It's but oh yeah. my god, that, yeah. But this is a prime time drama being made in um, 
1988. And of course, then you get on to this whole thing about family values in the... uh, Oh, yeah. Before we go on to family values, can Mm. I just say that it's it's Jock who is the voice of inclusivity and acceptance here. He comes in and he says... Listen to me, Robert. These men you call pooftals, they're just like you and me. We all need love, Robert. Oh, and I was just like, oh my God. Mm. Yeah, I, this is 1988. Yeah. And, and Jock has seen it all and just yeah. has a very live and let uh, live attitude. And I was like, wow, this is just brilliant. Yeah. Just I need to mainline this series. <laughs> like, everyone needs to see this and understand it and realise this is how you need to be. Why are we not here yet? Mm. Why are we not here yet? Well, 30 you know? years later and you know, society is still... <sighs> still as fucked up as it ever was quite frankly you know yeah in some ways more it's yeah it's a depressing endeavor sometimes this a to z (laughs) (laughs) but yes the family values thing let's get on to that because this is the the pernicious evil of the tories Mm. is to talk about family values Mm. and let's bring it back to the family this is the thing that's used Mm. ah in a way that upsets me deeply. It's just this episode titled The Values of the Family and it's all that Jack Daniels is absolutely using this family metaphor mm. to get away with whatever he wants to do, which mm. is just evil and just mm. by saying it's a family. And it reminded me of past business school directors who were saying things like, oh, the family needs to hold back and we're a family, we must care about each other. And it's all mm. utter nonsense used yes. by evil people. Yeah. Always. And, and it's just imagine you can imagine exactly what the Tories, you know, this is the stuff they say is now we must get back to basics, to mm. family values. And it's always what they hang on when they've got nothing to say mm. other than let's try and keep everything the way it is. Yes. And let's not be accepting of anyone who is falls out of that tiny, narrow bracket mm. of what is normal and what is right in their fucking fucked mm. up world. <sighs> and breathe. <laughs> even charlie dusenbury has misgivings about the activities of yes. jack daniels so charlie dusenbury is the second the lieutenant and yes. he he even he says i'm not sure this is good <laughs> it's just like the big message of series two and that clearly mm. is financially we flourish mm. morally we suffer yes and that's the big message of series two and Absolutely. it's in there in neon lights and it's brilliant that it's there and so clear because mm. that's the problem that is the problem we're all struggling with <laughs> you know it's just like that is the issue still yeah. um yeah amazing and then basically should, a court, yeah. uh, from that point because that's the midpoint of the series and from that yeah. point we, we get into this spiral of it's pretty much a three-parter isn't it the rest of the series yeah so yeah absolutely it's, is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. which is the spiral down to the episode death of a university where everything yeah. falls apart so. and where we have the eviction of the students because they can't pay their rent mm-hmm. and the terrifying police forces but then of course, you have the storming of the Senate building, which, given that we're recording this just a few weeks after the storming of the Capitol, it was it was a hard watch. But at least the storming of the Senate in this series was about a good good and just cause of fighting back because we should. But um, having that Trumpian sort of character who it wasn't is weird, give an inch, isn't it? Actually, yeah, it is weird watching that because. Like you say, the imagery. I mean, you got uh, Greta there with her Solidar Nosk banner and everything yeah. like that. But the Im- imagery is of what we saw 
in the Washington. Yes. But it's the, the it's kind of the but the point of view being um, the, the reasons behind the story are the, almost the opposite point of view. Absolutely. It's and the flip side completely. And that is where, as a, as a modern viewer, or certainly watching this over the last two weeks, as we have been, it actually starts to feel a little bit disturbing because you can't argue that one side doing it is bad and one side doing it is the same thing is good, yeah. which, of course, is what's actually happening now. Yeah. But... Um, it's interesting because it it does show you that if you're if you feel your cause is just and true no matter what side you're on you can yeah. you can justify doing all these things and i yeah. think that's very interesting it is you're dead right because we're on the I, side I, I, of the people storming the senate building yeah, in, in this instance in very peculiar practice yet yeah. i sat and watched it on television and i was horrified because yeah. i'm on the opposite side of that argument and you yeah, and we are now time, still yeah. seeing people who are totally unrepentant about what they did that day. Yeah. You know, and yet I you know. imagine that everybody in in the in the fictional world of Lowlands would have been very unrepentant about what they did that day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess we made a miscalculation here. Well, they're in now. It, it won't be easy. Still, they're just kids, you know. Nice talking to you. Come on, kids. I mean, you can you can argue with any any TV series that that things about it uh, put them in the you know the cars the the clothes, the haircuts yeah. will put things in a particular time bubble. But actually, I feel that uh, very peculiar practice is very much timeless in many ways. Yeah, I, I say I feel you could make it today, and you know, with a, with a very few tweaks, you, it would be just as fresh and just as relevant as it as it was when it the day it was made, which is like say the second series thirty three years ago now, first series nearly thirty six. You know. Yeah. It's astonishing that it can have so much truth and message mm. for today's audience if it, if people would but watch. And um, you do wonder, of course, I, in the end, you wonder now, um, you know, why why it had literally no impact. Why people don't? I mean, do people take stuff on board from television? Do they? Do they? I mean, you know, I realise that people who are in universities are probably more open-minded generally than than say you know somebody who I mean I. I, I don't like it sounds elitist and I don't like it to be elitist but if you go straight from school into a closed environment like a factory you get you 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 don't get exposed to different points of view very much school tries to do that but actually people can get very exposed to very limited world view and, and I think that's, yeah that's from the issue, and I think yeah. from from <clears throat> certainly from in universities shall we say the idea behind them one of the ideas behind them is that you are supposed to look at i mean they actually uh, talk about this in in episode two is that when they talk about religious studies is you know you're not actually here to just talk about christianity you won't even look at christianity for the first year you know and this yeah. is the thing you're going to be exposed to new ideas fresh ideas and this this is again something that gets mentioned a lot hmm. but of course yeah. the whole thing about good tv drama yeah. when it's done well, is it's reflecting the world it's made in. Yes. And it's reflecting the society that created the drama. 
And the, yeah. the clever writers, people like Andrew Davis, you know, but also people like Alan Plater, take yeah. what they see in the real world and turn it yeah. into compelling and interesting drama. But why do we then walk away from it and not put it into who we vote for or yeah. the decisions we make in the real world? And I still can't get it. I still don't understand why this could be written 33 years ago and the world is basically now pretty much what they were predicting. Yeah. Ooh, that was a rant, yeah. wasn't it? Sorry. <laughs> no, but it's, it's spot on and it needs to be said. Um, we should just wrap up the second series by talking about um, Jock's sacrifice to save oh. Sammy, who is effectively It still breaks my heart. Oh, it still yeah. breaks my heart that Jack, uh, Jock uh, doesn't make it to the end credits. And Sammy dies, which is really Indeed. sad. Yeah. yeah, and to discover that they both died. Like, and oh, the wow, other thing that is that is quite, this, that is, this is a big. moment of Jock actually having a certain amount of competence. He has diagnosed this. It's just... Yeah, the intracranial hemorrhage. It's yeah. just that uh, Sammy has been too busy or too... Yeah. Not to actually go and have it checked out. And and this... Yeah. this, this and of course, this is because he's beaten up by some of the guards on, on the yeah. on the night of the... Um, is it the break? Is it when they do the release the dogs onto the campus? Is it? Oh, is it go that back that far? Oh, I know. He, I know he gets beaten up by the uh, because he protests against the union. Um, Isn't he beaten up by his girlfriend as well, or is that someone else? He gets beaten up a lot, does Sammy? And obviously, yes, yeah, so so it's yeah. one of those things yeah. made that happen. And yeah. so, uh, but uh, yes, so uh, but Jock falls, having of course found happiness with uh, Jack Daniel's wife. Yes, and brilliant. The sap he, he having up... started to rise again. Yes, he actually has that. John sexual... Thomas is up and about again, as it were. Yes, he has that sexual <laughs> moment before the end. Which and it's is so Jock's finally happy, and then this happens. It's again, this I is know. life of being a dark drama. This is the nature of life. You're, you're not allowed it's, to be, have your happiness. It's a, you know? it's a realist. It's it's mad. It's exaggerated, mm. but it's true and it's realistic mm. drama. And of course, Bob yeah. gets his wife back at the end, which is so with the status quo. And yeah. I think. We um, don't we in the very last scene we skip ahead a year, don't we? Yes, because there's a because there's a baby, which proves also that Greta's sexual hang-ups are mm, kind of right. sorted a little bit anyway. And they are still together, and yeah. and Bob still works there apparently. Yeah, um, and and you do have the setup for a very Polish practice that I was quite surprised mm. that it was set up mm. because Greta has that line. Hey, listen, person. You won't notice much difference. Just another desperate country. So we should move on to briefly, I think, as a coda, talk about a yes. very Polish practice, which was made which, three or four years after the series yes. finished. It's a, it's a yes. one-off screen one film. Not really quite sure why they suddenly decided to return to this after three years, but they did. And yeah. It could be the politics of the time as much as anything. Um, yeah, I mean, David talks about it in the mm. interview, so he can tell that story. But um, I think a key part of that was Joanna Kanska going back to Poland mm. and they talked to her about mm. what, what it could be and came up with the Alfred Molina character. Mm. Well, she gets um, a credit for, for the actual the language and translations and things on, right, the, yeah, on yeah, the end yeah. credits. So she was very yeah. much involved in, in the production. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a story in um, Peter Davison's autobiography, mm. which is that you know, just as much as we say Joanna Kanska is like the light and soul of series two, mm. in that she she absolutely everyone fell in love with her effectively, mm. including Ken Riddington, the producer, who mm. was a famously dour mm. man. She had him dancing on the table at an Italian restaurant because he was she was so he was so enwrapped by her character. But um, yeah, so it's it's very much 
a coda, but it's 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 different. But it's it's kind of Lowlands transposed because Poland is is Lowlands essentially, isn't it? It's it's another desperate country with with altered priorities. I think the fascinating thing uh, watching it last week was what what because the, the, it's the hospital that he's working in is effectively lowlands again yeah, yeah. and is full of the similar kind of characters but it's actually this again is what the nhs has become it's it's actually played for comedy oh you know our the, our our um our version of the nhs isn't you know the polish health service yeah. isn't anything like but but when you look at it you now see exactly what the nhs became under constant battering by various governments yeah yeah Absolutely. And you've got the brilliant satire on communism and capitalism and how mm. they are both evils. Mm. And there is people have to fit in the cracks between those two different regimes. And mm. there's the brilliant character, Trevor Peacock's character, who weirdly, his character was called Reynard. And that's his, his same name of his character in Wish Me Luck in the third series mm. where he plays a resistance leader. I thought that was very odd. Anyway, but um, Trevor Peacock, better known for Vicar of Dibley but very good actor and he he is the character who is I was most interested by in this particular one-off and that was because he had been a communist when it when he needed to be a communist and now he's a capitalist because mm. that was the thing to be in in Poland and how mm. he was a survivor and he had mm. to just play those games and also the fact that Tadeusz um, Alfred Molina's character had to be he he existed as a known evil as a capitalist within communism and then now capitalism the good part has taken over suddenly he can't do Mm. those good things because oh it's just fascinating fascinating Mm. um it's an interesting character study i mean you 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 set the the two things that stick out to me and i know i know it's i know one of them is quite flippant so bear with me one of them is the fact that uh, bananas have become a currency Yes, and they're everywhere, right? and, aren't they? And this is actually a slight flashback to the, uh, shall we say, the bananas in bed scene, which is in uh, episode four, I think, of the first series. Ah, yeah. Uh, and I just quite like that the bananas in very peculiar practice is a whole episode on its own, really. But uh, <laughs> or banana symbolism. But <laughs> yes, um, yeah. But the other, the other thing is, of course, is the 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 trials and tribulations of one Doctor Robert Buzzard. Yes. In Poland. Which yeah. I just think is uh, again becomes interesting, because what happens is that he's constantly getting robbed, he's constantly getting, um, shall we say, shafted. From yeah, I was going to say shafted because it literally happens uh, actually by yes. various people. Uh, but in in terms of all that stuff about Daphne and and family values, he st- he still goes with the hooker at the end. Of it, yeah, yeah. And uh, but there's this wonderful bit of capitalism where he ends up wearing uh, Peter Davison's old jeans, yeah, with his suit top, yeah, uh, and but it then ends up trying to flog off his stuff to raise the money to get back to the airport, including the knickers and of the hooker he slept with. So <laughs> the eternal, the eternal capitalist opportunist, yeah, Bob Buzzard, for whatever you think of him, is a survivor, and he fits right in with the Poland of 1992. He does. And that's what everyone was doing, and that's why they put that in there. Yeah, so with the very Polish practice, I thought it was going Mm. to be inconsequential and wasn't really going to say anything, but in the end it Mm. it had an awful lot to say, and it wasn't just a holiday Mm. jolly I thought it would be. 
And I thought it was. It's, a very... it's another dark drama, isn't yeah. it? That's the thing. Yeah. Of course, we 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 constantly sit here in in England, and and we sort of say, oh, it couldn't happen here, and, and yeah. we're always terribly snotty about foreign countries. I mean, I I think back to last year when when people were mocking how it, Italy was coping with the virus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they forget this now. They oh, don't, yeah. they don't... Look where we are now. Yeah. Oh, the, the bloody foreigners, they can't cope with it. Oh, they've had to lock down northern Italy. Oh, isn't that terrible? And you think, yeah, look at where we are now. Yeah. And and all this, these people who say things can't happen here, and you look at America and you think people saying, oh, no, but democracy will prevail. And, and <laughs> you know, it's amazing how how uh, vulnerable, vulnerable human bodies, how vulnerable um, all the things we hold dear are yeah. if we don't actually you know, yeah. and what, look at them and be And what Biden said in his speech about how fragile democracy was, I mean, that's the mm. thing that should have been learned. My God. Yes, well, yeah. we hope. Yeah, Although but for some, we don't believe it's been learnt, though, do we? Because we, we've, 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 <laughs> we've got a numpty uh, who's in charge in this country or... or, or ostensibly in charge in this country yeah. who genuinely doesn't but he says stupid things about the british people the british people won't do this the british people won't do that yeah. rah, rah, rah. and and it can't possibly happen here because we're far too smart and clever and, <laughs> and english and and you think well this is nonsense you only have to look look at what is on your television screens to know it's all nonsense and look at how many but people the point have, is, look at how many still... people have died and look at how many people are yeah. putting restrictions on themselves through brexit and have destroyed their own businesses i mean yeah, but it's still they people they still get away with it because people still believe this public yeah. school wank sorry this public school nonsense yes that that people like characters like bob buzzard in, in yeah. this but you know uh, ernest hemingway and jack daniels and those kinds of cabals of basically fundamentally amoral people yes are able to keep on selling and we keep on, on buying. buying it yeah you know, and this matter how it doesn't seem to me that matter how hard these writers try and these directors know, try and I these know. actors to try and say, look what's going on, yeah. we still fall for it every bloody time. I know. Yeah. I think I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we should just. I don't think. I, yeah. I think we, we can't really top that other than to say. I have loved it, and I've loved talking about it. I've really enjoyed watching it for the first time, yeah. and I think you were probably. I'm quite... glad you did because it's one of those shows yeah. that I've 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 raved about for a long time. I yeah. don't watch it often enough, and I just think, please, you know, people, if you if you really go and try and get hold of a copy or whatever, it's a fabulous piece of drama, and you know you might you know you might there's a lot of stuff about eighties drama that maybe a lot of times people find turns them off. But literally, sit there, take in the words, look at what you say. It's uh, it's yeah. a gorgeous piece of yeah. drama, an absolutely gorgeous piece of there's, drama. There's, Couldn't recommend it highly no, enough. Exactly, there's so many messages, and I mean, the I think it's about small, relatively in, unimportant people, but it's also about big things. It's about things that affect us all. It's about politics. It's about love. It's about greed, and it is saying, I think it's saying you have to stand up for what you believe in. But it's also realistic and dark enough to say, but hey, there's no guarantee you're going to win, mate. <laughs> In the end, I think Lowlands is a metaphor for the certainly the country, but I think the world. Yeah. And 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 the way we are within that environment. Yeah. Is important, and you know we all need, in our own small way, to play our part. 
Yeah. And I think that, that all, all the aspects of society are there to be seen in this. Yeah. And it, it is basically that metaphor that uh, hopefully can, can lead to, um, you know, if you absorb that metaphor, you can actually sort of, you can, it can lead to change. Yeah. And hopefully we can become better, although it seems that if you actually follow the, the path taken by Lowlands in this series, we're all doomed. Absolutely. On that cheery note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it again. Oh. You have. Martin Holmes, kiss of death. <laughs> Absolutely. It's grim. Oh, it's grim. Uh, I kiss, oh, I was, I was, kiss of death, Holmes. I was not at that school. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not, not so much the kissing, but there we go. Uh. Yeah, I did get you called the Grim Reaper in one job. There we go. Oh, brilliant. Uh, so thanks so much martin um and pleasure and thanks to our listeners for being loyal and we do notice that there's a lot of listeners and we're we're very pleased about that and that the listenership is is going up hooray but um go and have a cup of tea maybe a slice of toast as well then come back and at 11 o'clock we will have um an exclusive interview with david tucker who is obviously rightly proud of his contribution to a very peculiar practice so come back and listen to that um in the meantime it's time for martin and myself to say goodbye goodbye take care yeah and next time we'll be doing w willing we not sir apparently so yeah i'm a bit frightened of w i still haven't watched it <laughs> i haven't watched it. i may i may i may not watch it at all i may just i haven't watched, see what you've got to I haven't say watched it since it was first on i think it was 88 89 or something i don't know mm. So, until then, um, we love you, we need you. (laughs) That's why we're here. (laughs) Goodbye. been listening to an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. Next time, The Woman in Black.